put me in the movies They're gonna make a big star out of me We'll make a film about a man that's sad and lonely And all I gotta do is act naturally Well, I'll bet you... I'm a lot of questions here. Um, so I watched Hong Sang Su's In Another Country the other day, a Hong I had not seen before. It's one that's in mostly in English. Isabelle Huppert, the French mm. actress, is the lead of it. But there is one part that I almost texted you about, Patrick. Oh, man. She sleeps with this lifeguard guy and wakes up in his arms and they had sex in a tent. And the look on her face was, it was a coyote ugly. We'll put, we'll put it that way. We'll put it that way. It was a coyote. The uh, so What is a coyote ugly? Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Remian, and you know who, boy, I've probably been that coyote ugly. Who, who knows? Who knows? That poor, that poor, that, that, that's who, funny. Who, among, who amongst us? Who amongst <laughs> us? Hey, sometimes you're the coyote handsome. Sometimes you're the coyote ugly. Roll you the know, dice, baby. That's life, baby. Welcome to the Academy, and welcome to a Visionary Alliance: A Simpson Bruckheimer Digression, Volume Five. Can you believe we've done five? I can't. Uh, now that's what I call Volume Five. Yeah, that's what I call. Actually, this the now that's what I call music is essentially these three films. I think yeah. a, is the musical uh, equivalent to these God, three films. That is like such a great. Yeah, this these movies are, if anything, a great can, time capsule of popular music in the uh, just the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. They are yeah. they are they are all soundtrack bangers. Um, all had hit soundtracks. I was working at a record store in the tail end of the year 2000 and um, sold a lot of these soundtracks. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If you want to hear uh, Sugar Ray's Fly or uh, Kid, Kid, <laughs> Rock's, Cow- Kid Rock's Cowboy, like across <laughs> movies. I feel like we've listened to that song more than any song, uh, at least in the last, like, five months. When they want to introduce, like, the character who's, like, a little bit of a renegade. Hmm. Maybe wears a cowboy hat. Maybe hasn't shaved in a few days. (laughs) It's definitely going to be introduced in the year 1999 or 2000 to the um, glorious tones of Kid Rock. Yeah. (laughs) The siren, the siren, the siren song. Yeah, boy. I, I, I think the most dated soundtrack though is the the Gone in sixty seconds, like ultra, like oh, Crystal Method, Chemical Brothers, like techno score. Very like, really like struggling in the shadow of the Matrix. Very much like a, that. That one felt like it's like, you know. It was like the Fast and Furious, but like they also, the Matrix came out like a year before. So it's like, okay, we have to make sure our guys are cool, have fun names. This guy has to wear sunglasses on the t- all the time. His name all... is Mirror Man now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we started the movie, <laughs> Jen, they go, 
They go to Nicholas Cage and go, Memphis. And Jed's like, his fucking name is Memphis? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> better than Freb. That's no. not even a name. That's nothing. Freb? 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 Here, I am 100% convinced. And, you know, if I'm wrong, please let me know. Uh, I'm 100% convinced that someone just had a typo. He was Fred. They put in a B for some reason, or maybe someone just like you know misread that as Fred, and they were like, you know what, that's fun. Let's just keep that's, it. That is hilarious, dude. All of Giovanni Ribisi's crew are essentially Jesse Pinkman's friends from um, Breaking Bad. God, that's such a good. Like ten years <laughs> later, that's where they ended up. <laughs> yeah, they have, each one of them is like one uh, bad day away from uh, selling meth on a rough corner of Albuquerque. Yes, they are. Yeah, hundred percent. Especially Scott Con. Well, Giovanni Giovanni Ribisi's character is like at the end of the movie. It's like, oh man, things are going to be great. Six months from now, he is definitely like in Folsom Prison. Hundred percent. Like his character doesn't know. Like what the whole scene where Giovanni Ribisi is just cooking like meat? Question mark. Then yeah, and then Nicholas Cage, what a good brother, take actually takes a bite of this. This disgusting garbage, <laughs> undercooked garbage. What if Nicolas Cage? Get, here's a here's a here's a thinker for you. Mm. What if Nicolas Cage got food poisoning and couldn't do the job? Oh man, short anyway. movie, short short, short sad movie. movie. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a short film, baby. That's a fifteen minute. <laughs> the Ballad of Rabisi. Yeah, he's like coordinating it with Robert Duvall between puking and being like an IV. <laughs> Guys, sorry, I have diarrhea. <laughs> I can't. Oh, um, put on the put on the low rider. I'll be right back. <laughs> oh. oh. Okay, so we're covering three films, all released in the summer months, summer to early fall months of the year two thousand. What you know? Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about it now. Was Jerry Breckheimer stretching himself a bit too thin? In oh, the summer man. of 2000, we're of course talking about the action thrill, the action adventure spectacular, action heist film Gone in 60 Seconds. We're also talking about the let's call it a musical comedy drama, uh, Coyote Ugly, mm-hmm. and the biographical sports drama Remember the Titans. Three. Movies at their surface that you would say to yourself, these are three very different films. Mm-hmm. Are they? Mm. <laughs> like, mm. they um, it's it's very interesting. So to look at where Jerry Bruckheimer is at in the year 2000, he did not release a new picture in 1999. But that seems to be because 1998 was the Armageddon enemy of the state year, which a monster year for Mr. Bruckheimer. But the year 2000, on top of these three items, you know what premiered in the year 2000? The original CSI for which Jerry Bruckheimer is a producer. Man, wow. I did not realize that was happening in Concord with all this. Indeed, indeed. So he spent 1999 filming and developing the crap out of projects (laughs) to have them all ready to go for this. And Looking at the way things go, he cranks up his output big time mm. following in, from the year 2000 onward. You know, him and uh, Simpson, for the most part, you know, outside of the um, 
you know, 95 was the mm-hmm. last year that they did three items. That was Bad Boys, Crimson Tide, and Dangerous Minds. I think one thing, though, that comes to my mind with um, that year is the fact that Tony Scott and Michael Bay were directors of two out of their three projects. Mm-hmm. And we do not have directors of that um, <sighs> macho capability. We'll put it that yeah. way, I think, here. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how well these three to varying degrees could be left alone in the same way that Michael Bay and Tony Scott would to get the job done. Yeah. Cause uh, I, you know, I know that some people like love or hate Michael Bay and Tony Scott, they have, um, they're competent directors and they also have like a great, uh, they, they each have like their own aesthetic and their own, like uh, they, they have, they have the skills and know how to, they to also create have, competent art. They also have producer mindset. They understand the workings of the set, the what's um, what needs to get done financially, time wise. That yeah, kind of that, thing. That's a great. Yeah, the, you, you never get the sense that they're not either out of control. The, yeah, they're never the over their heads. They're yeah, yeah. They are they are in charge, and yeah. they are confident about it. They're like, in control. Yeah, man. Great. There's yeah. a reason that Bruckheimer kept coming back to both of them. Hmm. Because he, they got the job done for what he needed to get done. Of course, they both did the 1998 films, Armageddon and Enemy of the State, so they're probably both tired and on the shelf. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, in 01, Michael Bay returns. Mm. Or, uh, pardon me, 03, uh, yes, um, 01, or 03, Michael Bay's, is Michael Bay's next film, which was Bad Boys 2. Mm. If I'm not mistaken. Um, but so this when going into the summer of 2000, he does recruit. Oh, pardon me, it was 2001's Pearl Harbor was Michael Bay's next film. No worries, that's a that no is worries. A film. Yeah, it's, it's that a is... very the very next year after these three, they drop Pearl Harbor. Their literal attempt to win all of the Academy Awards and make another Titanic. We'll be covering it at some point soon. Don't worry, folks. Yeah. I've seen it once, and I can tell you this, even based on my memory from 20, over 20 years ago. It's not Titanic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's almost as if your brain was not trying to remember that movie. Your brain, yeah, <laughs> he was trying to save you from having to watch that. Again. I, I I looked up like the Wikipedia of it the other day just to kind of like skim, and it's like, oh, weird movie. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm secretly hoping it's going to be like a surprise because, like my my, my yeah my my uh you know I feel like it has a kind of a rough rep. But there's like a lot of interesting actors in it, uh, yeah, inclu- yeah, including a one William Lee Scott who might play a quirky tech guy in one of our upcoming films we're discussing on this pod right now. <laughs> there are, oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. So let's get into it. We got three movies to go through, so we're gonna try and uh, got barrel, barrel through these things. We do have a time crunch too. Um, we're gonna open it up chronologically, as we like to do. June 9th of the year 2000. Patrick, I was days away from graduating from high school. Whoa! Man! Young Don, 17 years old, looking to take a look at the world. And Gone in 60 Seconds came out, and I must have been busy, because I never saw it. It's like expecting some sort of Proustian revelation. Well, the you know, the going back in time. There's also the fact that this is based on 
the cult film Gone in 60 Seconds, uh, written, directed, starring, stunt coordinated by H.B. Halicki. I have mm-hmm. seen that. I had it on Ooh. video. Me and the boys, the, uh, the you've met some of them at movie night. Even back in the year 2000, we were doing crap like this. Mm-hmm. And um, this was a favorite. And we were skeptical about this remake because we liked the original so much damn that's some like that's some good bona fetus there some good uh god i just said just listen to that episode of trap out trap house and now i'm saying it the way will says it yeah bona, bona fides bona fides bona fides, bona fides. Um, bona fides. i can't can't copy that and hb halicki was such a hardcore dude you know he wrote mm-hmm. directed produced starred in the original and then um while filming the sequel was killed doing a car stunt oh my goodness that's how like i mean you watch the original you're like i am it's actually stunning no one died you cannot say the same thing for this remake yeah you know it does seem like everyone would come out fine (laughs) yeah yeah so uh had you seen it before no i haven't oh you know what we got to do our usual thing um we should note Gone in 60 Seconds is currently on a streaming service everyone uses, AMC+. Plus. Ooh, baby, I love or, that uh, website. Love that website. Or you love can do, do like I did and rent it from Amazon. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, yeah, I'm like, sorry, I'm not as, enough of a Walking Dead head. To, yeah, to get that to, yeah. Fear the Walking Dead's back! Uh, uh, Coyote Ugly is on Paramount Plus, which I just unsubscribed to the day before Babylon premiered on there, which I'm kicking myself about. Ah, uh, but uh, but you gotta go, but you gotta go back to Paramount, baby. Go back to Paramount Plus. I got good stuff on there. They do, but I rented yeah. it from Amazon. I watched it at five in the morning. <laughs> Maybe that was not the right time to watch Coyote Ugly. You decide. <laughs> <laughs> That uh, crack of the crack of the morn, crack of the morn. I'm dancing at the bar. Don't bring your yeah. boyfriends in. Uh, Watch out! There's Ken Hudson Campbell from Armageddon. He's a biker. Just one scene. We want more yeah. of him. Yeah, he's there. <laughs> Maybe did, Jerry Bruckheimer was. Did you, did you catch Michael Bay in it? Yes. Oh uh, man, yeah. sick. Yeah, yeah I was sick. like, I saw. There's my boy. You'll talk about that a bit. Uh, and remember, <laughs> the Titans is on Disney Plus, a very, mm. very Disney Plus movie. Oh, for there sure, there was one. I, mm. of course, rented it from Amazon as well. Hell yeah, yeah. I have a feeling you're not interested in the exploits of Baby Yoda. That's just not. <laughs> no. I have no investment in Baby Yoda. Jen and I have the... like made this point that it, like, as with like social media and smartphones, until the baby brings up that she is aware of Disney Plus. We don't necessarily need to get Disney Plus is our philosophy on it. I love this. This is good. <laughs> and you're not yeah, talking, just to be just to be clear, you're talking about your daughter, not baby Yoda. Baby Yoda we've adopted and Oh no. Starting daycare next week. It's gonna be weird. <laughs> I guess the little baby Yoda is a bit of a goofball. Watch out. Yeah, so um, back to Gone in 60 Seconds. We're going to spoil... We're definitely spoiling Coyote Ugly. Probably spoiling everything else. Yeah, this is a spoiler zone. You know, just you know, us. It and you're getting we're, spoiled. We're, we're, we're spoiler boys. I mean, you, yeah, you we're, know we're, us. We're like a glass of vinegar and milk. A glass of vinegar and milk. <laughs> so, um... H.B. Halicki's um, widow, Denise Halicki, 
mm-hmm. licensed the rights to Disney and Jerry Bruckheimer. She is actually listed as an executive producer. One interesting fun fact that I learned on Wikipedia, mm. the film's trailer is narrated by Melissa Disney, one of the first trailers to employ a female narrator. Oh, wow. Interesting. And folks, you know we're pro-trailer narrators here on the show. We're mm-hmm. also pro-any gender narrators. I want to see it yeah. all. I just want narrators back telling me in a world, you know? Yeah. I just yeah. want that. It helps. I, that was I like we it. Talk about with the movies of this past year. I showed Jen the trailers to um, Tar and Bones and all and stuff like that. And her response was, what, are, what the hell are these movies about? See, that's like the thing. I feel like the people are like too, they feel like they're too precious or like too, they're above. Like, there's something about like trailer narration that they're certain a, people. They're, they're a sales tool. That's all rules. they are. And there are cool trailers, but at the same time, like, you gotta, like, get asses, they're probably getting asses in the seats. Yeah! I want some suave uh, person to say, Lydia Tarr is a hotshot composer about to have a tough day. Like, I need... But is, is Lydia's power gone to her head? Is any of this real? Tar, Cape Blanchett, Todd Field film. <laughs> a Todd Field joint. Yeah, but I mean, like, at the end of the day, though, like, Tar almost gets away with it because Tar is, like, Tar is, like, one of the most high-octane, home-run-hitting, like, full-scale major art films to be released Mm -hmm. in a long time. Uh, But for, like, Bones and all, like, what the hell is it about? You gotta tell us what this thing's about. It's about cannibal kids. And and that gets asses in seats. Yeah, give me them bones. I need that. And some of the all. Yes, all give us all. <laughs> all right, so um, Gone in sixty seconds is a remake of the original movie. is basically like a hour and a half car chase, mm-hmm. which is terrific. If you know, as a like nineteen year old boy, I was like, "This is great! This wonderful <laughs> thing." Uh, they try and add a little bit more elements, as usual. Um, utterly stacked cast. Jerry yeah. Buckheimer brings brings them in. Uh, leading the way in this one is our boy. It's been on the show almost every week recently. <laughs> I, I was thinking him and Denzel, we don't even need to do a bracket for because we've actually covered a great deal of their movies. Yeah, everyone uh, knows their deal at this point. Yeah. yeah, we don't have much more to say, but that other one yeah. like them. Nicholas Cage plays the role of Randall Memphis Reigns. And the basic story is Randall is like this legendary in Long Beach, California car thief. Mm. But things got a little close, man. And he got asked by his family to cool it. And because he's a Nicholas Cage, I guess, he's like, fine, I'll go run this kid's racetrack somewhere. Yeah, I'll run this go-kart track. It <laughs> is run a go-kart track elsewhere. And it's like, what? okay, sure, dude. <laughs> it is funny. Like, the things that people do, like, the depressing jobs that between, like, Nicolas Cage is the car track runner, and then, like, Chi McBride is the harried, like, driver instructor. Like, it's... Yeah, no one's doing too hot post-car uh, thievery like, I do think in, like, Jerry Bruckheimer's world, and for... And not just Jerry Bruckheimer, for Hollywood and television people in general, the worst thing imaginable is a day job. Mm. And, like... 
you are a loser. You need to get out as fast as possible, even if it's illegal. <laughs> Basically, yeah, like <laughs> you need like you need if you don't have like a high octane, really demanding uh, creative endeavor in mind. Yeah, the, then you you're, suck. you're you're a total loser. Yeah, you you know <laughs> you're you're subhuman. Get out of here. It really is a Trumpy mindset, isn't it? <laughs> oh God, a little bit, yeah, a little. Although I don't know, I mean, I think. It's, uh, but these yeah. are wish; these are also wish fulfillment. You're like supposed to watch this and be like, I can get off the bench and steal fifty cars. Man, that's a great. Yeah. All three yeah, yeah. of these movies are wish fulfillment movies. Uh, every Bruckheimer one is, but in particular, these three are wish fulfillment. It's like achieving dreams, mm-hmm. being awesome, and saving your family, and solving the problem of race in America. Through uh, uh, some fun song and dance on the playing field. Well, as we all know, <laughs> the best way to bring people together, this is what we should do. Your mama jokes. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we should uh, poke light at Ryan Gosling's uh, mild enjoyment of Buck Owens. Yeah, what a freak. <laughs> yeah, get, get out of here, monster. Get out of here, you skinny nerd. <laughs> yeah, he's fool. He is skinny in it. He is dope, dude. He's like, well, he's unrecognizable. It is yeah, he, he's, I like, mean, he can... like, he's like clearly like like seventeen years old. Or, you know, it's like... Yeah, it's it's we. It's always so funny to see. It kind of reminds me of when we saw uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Scent of a Woman, mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh man, this is like a little version of you. This is just crazy. They did not fully form. Like you, the pieces are there, but it's like they haven't put. Yeah. You... Although Phil Hoffman's actually pretty damn close to the final form. Outside of being young, like his like skill and what he brings to the table is pretty much there in Scent of a Woman already. I think yeah. Ryan Gosling needed a little bit more seasoning. Yeah, he needed a little more spice on that uh, sweet potato for sure. But anyway, so Nicolas Cage's mother, Helen Reigns, who we get one scene at a diner, is played by the great Grace Zabriskie, who She's has so popped good. up, you know, Armageddon and of course, Drop Zone. Mm-hmm. I have like so much. That's like one character actor I've uh, learned to appreciate from this uh, from this podcast. Because she just uh, she does she has like a great texture. She always livens up every scene she's in. Great uh, yeah, stuff. she always brings something fun to the table. It's great. And then, um, okay, so what we basically find out is that um, Nicholas Cage's wayward little brother Kip Reigns, played by Giovanni Ribisi from Avatar, mm-hmm. <laughs> mostly known from Avatar. <laughs> yes, avatars, Giovanni avatars Giovanni. He only shows up briefly in the way of water. Uh, he's he's run afoul, um, stealing like he's run afoul. Basically, that with this, cro- <laughs> I'm trying to like do this with a straight face. It's this the Long <laughs> Beach's British crime lord. Yeah, like uh, this guy who should be uh, the. the the third build in a Guy Ritchie film. Yeah. Oh, totally. He's like a lock, stock, and two smoking barrels guy. Yeah. This Trans- Transplanted to Southern California. Doctor Who himself, Christopher Eccleston, who f- seems to fa- uh, has two hobbies, violence and woodworking. Mm. Yes. <laughs> He's probably the most interesting character. He's like the most interesting guy in the movie because he's so fucking weird. Yeah, just 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 by dint of him being British, like you're immediately yeah. like, what's this odd man? <laughs> this odd British man. Why is he running a crime like a car thievery ring in 
like SoCal. This is yeah, insane. and his what name is, is and his name is Raymond Kalitri. And <laughs> another layer. Another great name. <laughs> Screenwriter screen Scott Rosenberg, we need to give him credit for all of these silly names. <laughs> oh, he's having a fun. T- I, you feel like Scott's like, you know, I, I know what type of movie I'm making. Yeah. Can I add spice where I can? This is going to be goofy as hell. So basically, um, because they were, they imp- the cops impound all these cars that were supposed to go to Kalitri. Mm. And um, Kalitri's like, I need 50 cars. <laughs> oh, so you know, he's like, and I think this this actor, Chris Eccleston, he's really good. Oh, in many, he's in a, many, many things. And this, and this he's, is he's hamming it up big time in this one. Oh yeah, well, like this is his like you know he has that I bet he has that like you know David Cross and Alvin and the Chipmunks mentality. He's like you know what this is getting me that that you know that boathouse I want. So oh, he said me that it before. I mean, nobody in these late nineties, early two thousands Bruckheimer movies, nobody's taking a pay cut. No, so it's great. Yeah, yeah. And, get, and usually, like almost every one of these actors gets like to try something. Like the directors kind of let them like run wild. And it's movies. and it's nice because yeah, like it doesn't feel like anyone's just kind of like you know say what you will about the quality of these films. The actors aren't uh, phoning it in for the most part. No, no, th- no. I think that the writing. Helps them or doesn't help them as we get to some of the other actors in here. We should also note that this movie is directed by Dominic Senna. Mm. Um, and Dominic Senna is very interesting. Um, directed a film called California in 1993 before this one with Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis. Uh, very interesting serial killer thriller. Uh, but also he is a like. Was a massive 80s music video director like so many of the other people we have covered and he is a co-founder of propaganda films with david fincher oh my Ooh. goodness Ooh, bring it all back. Back. perhaps the most interesting thing that he did music video wise was um he directed the janet jackson rhythm nation era music videos that redefined and kind of like solidified janet jackson as being a uh, superstar hmm of the time. Uh, also should note he directed the Top Gun anthem from Harold Faltermeyer music video. Wow. So this guy, I did not realize like he had that much under his belt. Like I knew about California. I didn't realize the next uh, the next level. This all yeah. these music videos. And uh, went on to do um, his follow-up movie. This one directly one year after this was an v- extremely Academy Academy movie, Swordfish, <laughs> uh, featuring one of the iconic uh, hacking scenes. Just Hugh Jackman drinking wine and <laughs> I didn't say what, the iconic nudity scenes. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, I'm just there for watching <laughs> you Hugh Jack- the hacking. Yeah, yeah. I want to see him casually drink know, wine yeah. and like. <laughs> But um, Dominic, uh, still in the game, but basically his last film was 2011 Season of the Witch. Oof. Starring, of course, oh, Nicolas Cage. Okay, you got me back. I was a and little I'm like... surprised. I thought that Season of the Witch was a Bruckheimer joint, but I don't actually think it is. I think I'm confusing it with The Sorcerer's Apprentice, with also mm. with... Nicholas Cage. Yeah, is that the one where Jay Baruchel plays his uh, plays his son, or like his, uh, something or, like that? Something I don't like know. that. I never like saw maybe it. mentor. I don't know. It don't matter. 
It's it like a kids, it's a kids movie that was released in 2010. I'm not yeah. seeing that. <laughs> we're both yeah, we are both fully grown folks by that point. Yeah, we're not. Just be, be a drug out of bars in 2010. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wasn't going to spend my Fridays at the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Although looking at the box office, nobody was. Anyway, ooh ooh, harsh dig on Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah. So, um. The middleman between British the British gangster and the Reigns family is former Reigns associate um Atley Jackson, played by recurring character this week, maybe our most recurring character this week, Will Patton. Uh man, who, not enough Patton in this movie. I God bless John Goodman. Why wasn't he Violet's dad just to just to tie the circle together in Coyote Ugly? Ooh. <laughs> It was right there. Was he? Was he just exhausted from Bruckheimer Productions? Uh, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Will Patton is like the Jerry Bruckheimer world's ultimate number two guy, best yeah. friend and associate and confidant mm-hmm. to our leading man. You know, we saw it in Armageddon. We see it here, and we see it in Remember the Titans. <laughs> It is nuts that, like, yeah, he has pretty much the exact same role, give or take a couple, you know, specifics in each film. That is, like, a wild thing. I don't know. He gets the most meat to chew on and Remember the Titans, but, yeah, this one in Armageddon, he's, like, basically the same guy. Like, yeah, oh, totally. He's just Chick. You could yeah. just say he was Chick and that this is, like, his that best friend. Uh, yeah, where he ended yeah. up after drilling, and he's like, man, I need a new best friend, Memphis. Yeah, I need to do highly competent man to be my best friend. <laughs> highly competent man named after a uh, geographical location, a city. Yeah, <laughs> I knew a guy from Memphis once. Anyway, so Will Patton tracks down Nicholas Cage and tells him this: what's going on with Giovanni Ribisi and everybody. Mm. And Nicholas Cage is like, "Oh gosh, no, I don't want to be back in the game, but Kip is my loser brother." <laughs> <laughs> and I need him. <laughs> I need Kip. <laughs> I need Kip to survive for Mama. I need her for Mama. Um, simultaneously to that, uh, car cops are after mm. them. Another gen, another salient gen point. She's like, "Who's that invested in like catching car thieves?" Like, <laughs> there's a lot more going on. <laughs> yeah, a lot but of big, cr- bigger crimes occurring. We have a uh, car cop. Uh, extraordinaire, car cop obsessive, um, nearing I'm getting too old for this shit age. The great Delroy Lindo returns to the show. Well, nary a few weeks passed from being in Domino. And he plays the role of I, I see if I can do this with a straight face. Detective Roland Castleback. Why, why not, dude? Yeah, not? do it. Roland Castleback. He's in, we're in it. Yeah, that's Ooh. our guy. He's like an all-star sterling career. He's like the best cop de- cop car detective there mm-hmm. is. One issue, though. He never caught the best guy. Memphis, Memphis Reigns. He's got a grudge <laughs> against him. He knows why he's back in town. To steal more cars. Roland Castleback has a grudge against Memphis Reigns. See, that's there, right there. Put that in the trailer. I'm like, whoa, these sound like interesting people. <laughs> yeah. These names are wild. They'd have to have had weird childhoods with names like that. And so Roland's partner is the um 
utterly bizarre Detective Drykoff. No first name, but I yeah. can find. Played by the great Timothy Oliphant, and who is another, like we were just talking about, actor in their infancy here a bit more. Yeah. Hadn't quite found their thing yet. So he's trying a few things to varying degrees of success throughout this film. It, um, it does accent, feel like... He's got a strange southern accent that drifts in and out. Why does he have it? He's in Long Beach. Who's this? And if anybody looks like a like California surfer dude, it's Timothy Oliphant. Oh, yeah. like He's like a guy who looks like he was born to play the lead in the life and death of Bobby Z adaptation like the like the don winslow like mm-hmm. super crime story like he, or yeah. like or like handsome cowboy man you know oh for sure yeah he can go both ways yeah but weird but you know he was doing some weird character like you know in scream 2 and in go around which are both around this time period he's mm. doing similar weird i think he was going for almost like how brad pitt was early in his career he was trying for these like I might be too hunky, so I'm going to do eccentric things. Right. And then you realize it's like, once you turn like 45, just lean in on being a hunk. Yeah, be a hunk. Be a hunk. Well, man, cool. I guess at that point, you're like, you want to maintain your hunkiness. That becomes the thing you're kind of like. Yeah, you, because, yeah, you know, then you're like, man, I did like being a hunk, and I regret not embracing it when I was 22, but I want to hang on to it dearly. Yeah. Like, right why now. did I take this for granted? Yeah. My hunkiness. Man. I was once a hunk. <laughs> so they're, uh, on the, yeah. they're on the trail. They they they're sniffing out pro. They're sniffing out the Memphis and his Memphis is up to no good. I was gonna say Memphis and his crew because this movie, like so many great action movies, guess what we gotta do? We gotta assemble that crew. Bring the boys big, together. Okay, so he has seventy two hours to steal fifty specific cars, or else they're going to Doctor Who is gonna kill Kip. Yeah, he's gonna get some Daleks and <laughs> yeah, drop drop like a phone booth on him or something like that. <laughs> so we got I you got you folks, you gotta love it. We got a timeline. We got uh, if this doesn't happen, this happens kind of thing. It's it's pure simple drama. Hmm. Now all we need to do see if they can do it. Put the cops after them because they proved Delroy Lindo. He's smart. He's the only mm-hmm. real challenge actually to any of this. What we find out is stealing cars is not that hard. No, nah, they, they, it's easy. It's fun. It's like, like it, it sounds cool. Time, Seems like, yeah. Well, because, okay, so we've got two cru- two crews going on here. So many guys. So, was, so Kip gets let out, so he's on the crew. Mm-hmm. And Kip brings his idiot friends mm. with him. Uh, kind of like we got Scott Kahn as Tumblr, TJ Cross as Mirman, um, in a role. Well, Clearly written for Dave Chappelle. <laughs> like, then they just couldn't 100%. get him. hundred <laughs> percent. This was written for Dave Chappelle. Yeah, this is a role that they saw him and Connor loved him, but he was already like, "No, I'm not. I'm not playing the fifteenth lead in this movie." <laughs> I'm good. I have a little show I have in my brain. Very, 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 very shortly, a little show is going to come out and turn me into a megastar, but also perhaps drive me completely insane <laughs> to the rest for the rest of my days. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, true. I he did get jokerified. Yeah, he got jokerified by it. Yeah, the fans yeah. jokerified him. Uh, James Duvall is Fre- <laughs> the titular Freb. <laughs> <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid name. Stupid. Get out of here. Uh, William Lee Scott is uh, Toby. <laughs> William Lee Scott and a bunch of... Uh, bunch of this stuff 
he's he's in Pearl Harbor as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very funny that uh, all the other people. It's a good like good um way of indicating that uh, his character is kind of a nerd. That uh, everyone else is a weird nickname, and he's just stuck with Toby. Yeah, yeah, and he's a total nerd, and he's also like the ultimate damn red shirt. Oh yeah, like the second he's like, guys, I could come out and help. It's like you're getting shot. No. Everyone knows you're getting shot. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the best. You're leaving this movie one kidney down. Yeah, I know. It's like we've seen movies before. <laughs> you are the expendable one. Like, yeah. But then Nicolas Cage puts together his crew. We mm. get uh, speaking of lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. We get Vinnie Jones as <laughs> Sphinx, a mute mortician. Who comes out of retirement to help him? Who does not say a word for the entire movie until he gets this like existential monologue at the end of the movie that's supposed to blow our minds, but it's just kind of dumb. It it is like this thing where like I guess like we're supposed to be shocked that like a big guy uh, smart smart like what Whoa. the hell? Whoa! What? <laughs> Too much. Cue the two of Tim Allen home. Yeah, not a not a good move movie. Uh, also on the team is um, Chi McBride, who plays mm. the role of Donnie Estricky. Everybody, everybody's got a good name in this movie. Yeah, there's some good. You know what? It's I'm turning around on it. It's good. And, as, like... pa- and as Patrick mentioned, he's now in a very let's be honest racist scene. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Play, play for terrible laughs. Uh, is a driving driving instructor, um, and he's like, "Get me the hell out of here!" Okay, I'll <laughs> get me out of the. It's almost as if he's trying to claw out of the scene. He's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like he knows when he's, he's like, ah, oh, this sucks. And like you could tell, like everyone's yelling, "It's gonna be so funny!" It's like, is it? Is it gonna be funny? Mm. It's not. Um, he, so he's more than happy to like. Go back to a life of crime and start stealing cars. Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather hang out, hang out with them again. And yeah. then um, the kind of Memphis's former mentor, Otto Hallowell, played oh, by man. the god Robert Duvall, shows up and you know he's doing his thing. He gets this, he's having a blast. Know, he's having a good time. And his job is like he's gone straight, and he just refurbishes cars in this like gigantic auto shop compound. That they built a nice set for. That's yeah, all you can really say about that. Is this, is it, just to be clear, this isn't the one with like the uh, the crazy uh, blue light uh, chalkboard or whatever. The one where it's no, like, no, no, that's a different one. Black light, black light. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, last but certainly not least, mm. Angelina Jolie as the girl. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's what they said when they were writing this script. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is what the, the executives in the smoke-filled rooms. The executives in the smoke-filled rooms who probably harassed her. Uh, not a laughing matter, folks. If you can't, no. it's, it's it's a tragedy. But, you know, all we can do is kind of, like, laugh in the face of doom. I mean, yeah, it's all, we, bad. It's, all, it's all we have. It's bad. Of course it's bad. She plays Sarah Sway. Wayland. Um, I wonder who played her wig. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, is that Spider? It's a weird... Yes, yeah, it's Spider from Avatar 2. That is like yeah. the Spider from Avatar 2 wig. And I, I wonder if it was her choice? I mean, who told, like... 
Angelino's doing fine. She didn't need it. No, he need it. Like at so all. Weird. It's, it's distracting. It's weird. I, I I just my theory is that like Matrix was just released and then you have Blade. And I feel like the this movie is trying to have like just like ten percent of that. That techno kind of. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the only word for it. That techno side or it's, it's like early internet. Like isn't hacking like cool and underground? Well, it's like techno, and then like that Wachowski understanding of like you know. I feel like the Wachowskis have a. Uh, 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 an affection for like the weird San Francisco rave subcultures, but they have an authenticity when they do it. Exactly, this that's is, the this thing. Is, this is phony bullshit. This is like a hundred percent. Like you're comparing, like yeah, the uh, the Matrix is to this the way that Pulp Fiction is to like Truth or Consequences, uh, New Mexico, or the like things it's like yeah. to do in Denver when you're dead. Exactly. It's no. like it's like when movies like uh, Halloween, Hollow Lee tried to uh, yeah, reference a, films after well, that, Pulp Fiction. I mean, there is so much th- about this movie, and so she's a mechanic and bartender. She's her job is to be kind of sexy and cool, but not much more, and mm-hmm. be a love interest to Nicolas Cage. She tries her best, but pretty much everything she says feels very like ugh. It's just a little cringy to me. Yeah, it's like her character is very like underwritten and she, kind she, of a... you catch her on a day like a glass of wine in she'd tell you the same thing yeah oh a hundred percent yeah maybe with a, even, yeah maybe without the wine probably, with, <laughs> yeah. probably without the wine even um but yeah the one thing so basically that's the movie they have this like 72 hour window mm-hmm. all these cars let's jump ahead so we can get to some analysis here they do it they of course they accomplish it it's yeah, like car chases. They do it. Um, goal achieved. Goal achieved. It's not very. There's nothing very surprising, and I think that's what makes it feel a little like, like when you watch like The Rock. Mm-hmm. Somehow, despite the fact you know they're gonna do it deep in your heart, by the time it gets to the close, like the odds are like really against them. The and stakes you, are high. The stakes are high. And then when they kill Ed Harris, you're like, anything could happen in this movie. Like, this doesn't have that. You're like, they're gonna, they're gonna do it. It actually goes down pretty similar too. It's like Delroy Lindo basically has to learn that Nicolas Cage is a cool guy, and, <laughs> and let him go. Uh, I mean, the highlight of the entire final sequence. Oh, it's um Christopher Eccleston. Also, he his his um car salvage yard is. A lava factory in disguise mm, it is a nice. classic action lava factory in disguise and you have, we haven't seen a lava factory in a while too great point yeah it's very lava factory we know that mm. so for sure they get chased around there uh nicholas cage threatens to destroy some of his chairs <laughs> <laughs> i like that this guy went into being a psychotic british gangster because he's a failed interior designer <laughs> He tried, like, yeah. yeah, tried to make it in L.A. Yeah, he couldn't hack it. Couldn't hack it, man. Your chairs, they're just okay. <laughs> no, the perfect mahogany. He, like, early in the movie, he builds, a, like, shows that he built a coffin. Like, this, like, coffin that he's going to put Giovanni Ribisi in. God. This is the best thing in the entire movie, by the way, is this final moment of the movie. It's, it's up there close to the drop zone conclusion for dispatching a bad guy. <laughs> Nothing will ever top drop zone. But yeah, <laughs> trust. 
<laughs> Jefferson. Yeah, Jefferson has one of the most incredible. It's yeah, Jefferson it's a great rules. way. Yeah, Gary Busey flying. I do want to watch that movie. Seeing Grace of Risky and this made me remember Jefferson and how like how mu- uh, much of an unsung banger that film. Yeah, is. Yeah, I want it. Made me want to watch it every time the Toad the Wet Sprocket song plays on Lithium when we're driving around. I'm like from Drop Zone. I like this. <laughs> oh hell yeah. Drop Zone rules. Drop Zone's better than Gun in 60 Seconds. Oh. I'm going to say it. I'm gonna say yeah, it. 100%. Yeah. It's yeah, underrated banger. Yeah. Um. So, Nicholas Cage, like, throws Christopher Eccleston off this rail. He flies down. Does he get shot before then? Nah, I don't think so. He kicks him. He just kicks him. <laughs> kicks him Cal- as Calteri is about to shoot Castleback. As Eccleston is about to shoot Delroy Lindo, for those who are confused by all these character names. <laughs> um, he falls, like, all these stories down, falls through the glass, and lands in his own fucking coffin. <sighs> Dead. It's great. It's very sad. The most satisfying part of the movie. More satisfying than any of the car chases, which actually are just okay. Yeah, that is, that is, like, the biggest crime this movie commits. Yeah, I know. It's just the lack of, like, fun like coherent car chase scenes like they're not like terrible but they're very like generic well i think so um i think the thing about this movie it shouldn't feel as much of a chore as it is that's kind of the, how i felt about it while i was watching i can't like we just did con air even armageddon like bad boys any of these mm-hmm. ones they're like they're fun this one felt like an exercise, like trying to capture, like it felt like a copy of a copy of a copy of, yeah. pre- of previous successes. And then also the, um, listen, all these movies, like the Tarantino pop culture reference stench has reached into the year 2000 and it is Ooh. long in the tooth. Even Quentin Tarantino at this point had moved on yeah. from that kind of thing like he did jackie brown like, yeah, yeah it like yeah the, yeah he was doing jackie brown at this time like yeah and beginning to write kill bill so think mm-hmm. about that but the part where they're going through the cars that the um the 70s tv show people drove mm-hmm. and go oh, that's Columbo's car that's the rockford car it's like that could have been fun mm-hmm. in 90 and clever in 94 by the year 2000, you're like, stupid. Like, it's just and lame. It's, it's like, do these people even watch the... I mean, I guess I know, they yeah, do. You don't I buy don't it know. at all. Like, yeah. like, and even going back to, like, the way that they plant it in um, Crimson Tide with the Silver Surfer scene. That felt real. It felt real, but it was also, like, surprising. It was like, whoa! Denzel Washington knows about Silver Surfer, but he's also this, like, stick-in-the-mud Navy guy? That's interesting. I didn't know, like, I didn't know that about him. And I think at this point, because there's no character development at all for any of these people, mm-hmm. like, it's not a surprising quirk to their character. It's just like a collection of random quirks thrown in that, like, whatever was cool mm-hmm. in 1999 or seemingly cool to the eyes of you know the Bruckheimers of the world, it got just tossed. So it's like the pop culture references, the weird Matrix looks, the the extremely 1999 2000 soundtrack mm-hmm. the all of that's thrown into this mismatch but for no real emotional stakes you don't care in what world are giovanni rabisi and um 
Nick Cage brothers to begin with. And I'll tell you what, I would have flipped it. I would have put Giovanni Ribisi as Detective Drykoff, and I would have made Timothy Oliphant Kip. Mm, and I think that, that I think you would. Have, I think that would be a turnaround thing because I would love to see Tim Oliphant be Nick Cage's little brother. For sure. Well, and like have like that his like little brother be like this kind of like you know ding dong hunk that keeps you know he's a little more kind of a, sure yeah, of himself. Yeah, yeah, he's not as like mousy. As Giovanni Ribisi is. I feel like, yeah. Also, like, Giovanni is very, like, I'm sorry. Like, there's, like, a, like, I feel like, I feel like this movie was just missing one or two spices from the spice rack. You have, like, a Nicolas Cage, right? And he's and doing his best. He's, he's doing yeah, his best. He's as, great. But there's you know, a, He doesn't take off any movies. We know that about him. No, he rules in the, like, I love my, my Cage boy. But, uh. He doesn't really get like that many, like at least like Matchstick Men, uh, our previous film. Like there was like a big, that iconic uh, piss blood moment. But also, and... this made me like like Matchstick Men more. Ooh. In retrospect, like a week later, I'm like thinking back on Matchstick Men way more fondly after this week's movies. Like, maybe, yeah. In a way. <laughs> maybe we were like a bit hard on Matchstick Men. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, you tell us. Uh, let us know at. Uh, the Academy Academy podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Academy. If you rewatch Matchstick Men as well, and you're like, hey, that wasn't that bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say actually, it isn't actually that bad. In retrospect, now that I'm like getting a little time away from it, I'm like, eh, it's not that bad. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's I was better, talking better to... than better than this. Yeah, and it's like uh, I don't want to like be like it's hard. Like I understand yeah. making a movie is difficult. It feels bad to to. To like, yeah, but I think it's just like, yeah, there's just like a. There's just a handful of elements that are missing. Yeah, and then when there's like a genericness to it, it just it yeah. needs like another, it needs like a fun sequence because like it's so funny like the Eccleston death is like the best part of the movie, but even when I was watching that, I was like, yeah, but like when. John Malkovich dies. Like he goes through like seventy different things. Like he gets shot, and then he gets thrown through a thing, and then his, a, a giant squisher machine falls on his head. And they they sideline him, Doctor Who, a bit in the movie too. And we need more of his like energy and threat. Like they they do that entire sequence where they accidentally rob the car with cocaine in it. Oh yeah. And then there's like the subplot where Master P and his crew are trying to come What's after them. What's happening? Get rid of all that. We don't need yeah. any of that stuff. Have like, Master P be like an underling under Eccleston yeah, so he can get into the movie more. Yeah, because yeah, just, just having him be like this random like baddie that they occasionally run into is just uh yeah, pointless, superfluous. There's there's because there's no real drama. Like we said, we cut to the chase. We cut through half the movie because we're like, yeah, they get away with it. It's yeah. fine. So we should note the end of the movie. When it all is settled, everyone's together. No one has died. Even the guy who got shot made it. Um, <laughs> they're having a cookout at Robert Duvall's place. What does this remind you of? Fast and the Furious. Another car movie. Fast and the Furious came out the very next year. And frankly, this should have been Fast and the Furious if they would gotten it right. It should have been like 10 Gone in 60 Seconds movies. Yeah, honestly. And I'm Man, like... It would be so would have been so fun if they had like if they had like you know kind of like done some quality control in this first film and then like continued this as a series because the cast is there everyone's yeah. really fun and interesting and I love the idea of like 
an insane like car thief adventure. Oh, and Delroy Lindsay and Timothy Oliphant end up joining the crew at some yeah! point. Like, yeah. Like something unexplained. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's like <laughs> there's so much there, and they kind of just didn't work. Oh, yeah. It works, but it's not memorable. It's in one mm-hmm. ear and out the other. I think that's the like. It's not like Con Air, where it's Con Air is so crazy. Mm-hmm. You remember every single moment of it. There are so many memorable, insane. Yeah, the guy falling out of the plane onto the car. The yeah, the yeah, I just you know, climactic. Laughing, like, even something like have Christopher Eccleston do something as great, uh, and it should be also be known. You know what Scott Rosenberg wrote? Mm. Scott Rosenberg wrote Con Air. Whoa! That is so funny because yeah, it's. I mean, it makes you wonder. Like, like I wonder if this like got sanded down a bit and like post production. I think it's PG thirteen. And I think that's a um, God man. That's a that's a thing too. Yeah, you you lose a little bit of spice when you don't not allowed to go full um, full depravity and violence and language basically. There is nothing in this movie as good as the part where the guy's hanging out of the plane with covered in gas. And he goes, sigh, and John Malkovich, Anara, and throws the cigarette and blows the yeah. guy There's nothing that good. There's nothing he... as good as the moment where they're getting away on that fire truck and John Cusack and Nicolas Cage commandeer motorcycles for another insane action sequence. It's like, more? Cool! <laughs> exactly! Like, you know what? Like, that movie is, like, stupid, but it's so fun! And it has, like, so and it's... fun. And it's... Pro- right. And the, the action is propulsive. Like, it just... You've, you're, you're moving with it, and it's just... Everything feels high-octane, and something crazy can happen every second. Like, there's a spontaneity, even though you know how Con Air is going to end, there's a spontaneity to the stuff that occurs in the middle that keeps it fresh and exciting. Yeah, and I think that all three of these movies today have elements of, like, we could kind of ride the wave to financial success based on the, yeah. surf- the surface elements we're presenting in, like, a trailer or a poster. I mean, I, I watched all these movies in a row and put them on Letterboxd. All the posters are, like, the exact same thing, too. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> um, should be noted, cinematography cinematographer is Paul Cameron, a mm. veteran, a veteran of the Force, uh, Man on Fire, Deja Vu. <laughs> We've seen him before. Probably mm-hmm. see him again. Uh, speaking of seen him before, three editors on this one: Roger Barton, Tom Muldoon, and the great Chris Lebenzon, has edited almost every movie we watched. I think he might be the he might be the most uh he might be the guy who's uh uh a part of the most Scott Scott movies besides directors. Yeah, he is a Bruckheimer and Scott Brothers like all star. Uh, mm-hmm. Music by Trevor Rabin or Raven, um, who has done a bunch of uh, also a bunch of stuff. We've you know he did Armageddon, did Enemy mm-hmm. of the State. Did remember the Titans momentarily? Um, mm. You know, part of that. Another guy. I mean, it's like that old saying: "An old Academy Academy Wives Tale." There are only ten guys in Hollywood. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Trevor Rabin, you're one of them, baby. Hey, Trevor, you're one of them. You're in the club. Um, God of sixty seconds had a budget of ninety to a hundred, hundred three point three million. The budgets are going up. 
folks on these movies. Yeah. Uh, made at the box office, uh, worldwide total, $237.2 million. Yeah, now, respectable. You would say that. But due to its high production and marketing costs, the studio estimated that the it actually lost $90 million. Oh, no. And they had, Disney ended up writing it off for a $212 million loss in taxes. I don't... This is why this... What is wrong with America? Like... Yeah. <laughs> That's what some Hollywood... We... Yeah, what's yeah. happening here? What's, what's happening here? Don't I, I'm not an accountant. I'm specifically not a Hollywood accountant. I don't know. But I know I'm trying to like do the budget on a short movie right now, and that's hard. So, like, and we're, and we're like going to spend ten thousand dollars at most on this entire thing. That's still a lot of money, and still hard. So I don't know how they do it. They clearly don't know how they're doing it. You know, I'm realizing, Patrick. Mm. You really have to have a gambler mindset to be somebody <laughs> like Brockheimer. Yeah, you gotta be like you're basically a degenerate gambler. And you're just not, but you're just not doing it like on like betting on like Cowboys games. You're not like Robert De Niro in Silver Linings Playbook or something. Nah, like that. yeah, you got to be like <laughs> Howard Ratner and Uncut Gems. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. The, the 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 loomy presence of Eric Bogosian following you. <laughs> yeah, oh. and but you got to kind of like be into it, and I think that that's like. I worry sometimes in my situation. Maybe yours too. Maybe you could agree with me. It's like a might be a bridge too far in our like lives. It's to be like we are um, we are scared boys. Yeah, we're scared boys. We're normal men, and we're also we're not like we're not degenerates in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not like we're not that like yeah we're not like uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and owning Mahoney, just like yeah. willing to. to Throw away well, like all the, the money the, for the the, Calif- for the the California Split Boys. We're not that. Yeah, <laughs> we're not Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn. We're yeah. not the Mississippi Grinders. Yeah, we are not. We are the Mississippi. Uh, probably not ever go there. But if we did, nice vacationers. <laughs> yeah, the the Mississippi, uh, you know, barbecue enjoyers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The Mississippi, yeah, the Mississippi. I'm gonna spend four hours at this barbecue joint and drink a bunch of beers and eat a bunch of ribs, kind of guys. <laughs> yeah, we're the guy, we're the guys in Biloxi, Mississippi. That we 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 see that boat casino or whatever. We walk by it, buy we, it, and we're we going to Joe's Crab Shack. We might get on, but it's like I wonder if they have a buffet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ribs and shrimp buffet. Mm, don't mind if I do. Uh, see you later, roulette. I'll take these ribs. <laughs> see you later, roulette. I'll have uh, this roux. Oh no, we just we, the roux. We we went to the craps table when I went to Vegas last summer, and we had drinks and like good dinner, and we had money in our pocket. It was the first mm-hmm. day. My brother jumps in. Our friend Sean jumps in, and then I stared at it. I just completely froze up. I was like. 50 bucks for one roll of the dice? That's like two Criterion Blu-rays. That, yeah. was, my, that was my response. I was like, I don't see the benefit there That's at it. all. But the gambler's mindset was like, I can make enough money to buy like six Criterion movies when I get done yeah. with this. That's not the Dawn mindset. Anyway, but maybe mm. the, maybe when I go to Vegas this summer, I'll have a change of heart. Who's to say? Mm. I lost money betting on the Seattle Mariners like the, my first bet of the day. We bet that they were going to win and they got 
hammered by the Houston Astros. And um, I was already bummed about I lost 40 bucks on the Mariners. I was like, that's enough gambling for me. It's so funny. Like, I just want to say really quickly, I'm from Houston and it's so weird that in my lifetime, the Houston Astros have gone from like a a pretty like scrappy underdog to just like the, they're the Darth Vader. They're the the evil empire of baseball. Yeah, they are the evil empire. It's very weird being uh, for once the the evil team. Yeah, it must be. It's kind of fun though. I always wanted it. I always wanted it from one of the Seattle teams to be the bad I mean, guys. It rule. It does rule. It's like oh, it's good to be king. Oh, you know? yeah. or the early two thousands when Barry Bonds left the San Francisco Giants and was a free agent. I was like actively telling anyone who would listen, "I want the Mariners to sign him." Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like he's good. He's awesome. Like he he's has- bad, but he's awesome. You know? He has the, he has the juice. He's got the juice. It does not have the juice, so here's Mr. Transition right here. Is the Ooh. Rotten Tomatoes score for Gone in 60 Seconds? Oh, no. Yeah, this is a crab. You know, crab apples we've heard of. This is a crab tomato, folks. Yeah. 25% <laughs> critical consensus reads, even though Oscar Bears, Nicolas Cage, Angelina Jolie, and Robert Duvall came aboard for this project, the quality of Gone in 60 Seconds is disappointingly low. The plot line is nonsensical, and the even the promised car chase scenes are boring. Mm. Mm. Um, it was uh nominated for um a couple stinkers, bad movie awards, couple, hmm. couple of the stinkers, um, stinky awards. Uh, <laughs> it won worst screenplay for a film that grossed over one hundred million using Hollywood math in it, and also it won most intrusive musical score. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, Angelina Jolie lost for worst on screen hairstyle. To the combined force of John Travolta and Forrest Whitaker from Battlefield Earth. Oh, wow. Um, this movie is... Uh, yeah. Kind of seems lost in the dustbin of time as a... But for those interested in 2000s nostalgia and interest in what exactly was happening in action films in the summer of 2000, you probably do pretty well. Because this mm-hmm. also was the same summer as... Um, Mission Impossible Part 2, which I did Ooh. see that day, the day it came out, because I am a human being with a soul and a pulse. Of course I'm going to see the Mission yeah! Impossible. Mission Impossible 2, though, is coded with like a techno soundtrack and all that kind of stuff, but it's also directed by John Woo, That's who insane, makes it yeah. weird and insane. Who makes it, you know, and it it, and it began the um, what kind of mission, is it going to be a weird Mission Impossible movie or a straightforward Mission Impossible movie based on the length of Tom Cruise's hair? Mm. The and this was a long hair Tom Cruise, which meant it goes on the weirder side of things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look into it, folks. It's actually I I think you can because Mission Possible three he goes back to J.J. Abrams. He's got a crew cut. Mm-hmm. Possible four he's hanging from that building in Dubai with long hair. Right. You know. Yeah. He's gone mostly short hair recently, but I'm hoping we see in the final one he has longer hair. It gets really funky. Anyway. Jerry Bruckheimer was not done in the summer of 2000. It seems to me like at least he and the rest of his crew, somebody made money. <laughs> God, it's 60 seconds. Where did this 237 million go? Somebody mm-hmm. got paid. I don't know. Yeah. Didn't stop Jerry because later on in the summer, and this is like a ultimate back in the day, actually when you could actually judge things on mm-hmm. release date, released August 4th of the year 2000. This is a spot on choice. This is an August movie. If there ever was one, we're of course talking about Coyote Ugly. 
Um, I never saw this movie upon release. This was never first, did either. First watch for me. Didn't care. Didn't want to when it came out. Yeah, not, um, your, not our not not our world wheelhouse. Not our demographic. Yeah, exactly. But whose demographic is it? We'll talk about that in a moment. What's going on? Is it anyone's demographic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this movie was directed by David McNally. Um, David is was a, you guessed it, mm-hmm. a uh, commercial and music video guy. Um, directed in, I guess, during one of the Super Bowls, he did a Budweiser commercial with a lobster. But I don't remember this one, but it was a noteworthy video and got him basically got him coyote ugly unfortunately for david his follow-up mm. movie to coyote ugly was kangaroo jack a <laughs> notable flop Bruce yeah Bruce was by bruckheimer uh, first movie i ever saw in theaters uh, by myself yeah uh Bruce by bruckheimer also uh half written by Steve- scott rosenberg like <laughs> man <laughs> scott Rose- music by trevor rabin scott rosenberg works man he works like to this day like he's like behind the jumanji series oh my goodness yeah and um like does like massive uncredited rewrites and he's like um like he's working on he did the um the cowboy bebop show he's got that upcoming citadel show uh like just a ton of stuff this guy is like like the heavy hitter as a screenwriter. Yeah, you get the sense that if you hook up with Bruckheimer early, or if you uh, if you caught his eye, then that was like a guaranteed career. Like yeah. you are pretty much yeah. Because even like even after Kangaroo Jack, like David McNally created a TV show. Like he created a show called Justice. Didn't last yeah. too long, but like. But I think like you know, with the, these guys like. So you get to a power figure and you can show the power figure that you can get the job done. You know, mm-hmm. business that we were just talking about is so chaotic and insane that you just need reliable people. You, They might not even be like, I mean, like none of these scripts are like, you know, Cohen brothers or something like that, but they're good enough right. to get the job done. Yeah, that's what they're going for here. And so... Yeah, of course. And if you become reliable, somebody like you become a stock character mm. in like a super powerful person's orbit. You know, I think like I mean that's why you see with like a director, they work with so many of the same cinematographers or so many of the same editors, film after film after film. And once you develop that trust, that bond that they can capture what you're after, mm. why why would you want to continuously replace them? Mm. Especially when you're powerful enough, you can pay them full price you know so uh coyote ugly uh screenplay by final credited screenwriter is gina wendkos um jeff nathanson wrote a draft carrie fisher wrote a draft and notably kevin smith was one of the writers there was eight writers involved in this movie Mm-hmm. You can kind of feel it. <laughs> well, and a thing I will say too that apparently, like Jeff Nathanson was like on call, yeah, uh, on set, and whenever uh, they were shooting something and it really wasn't clear what was happening, he was his, it was his job kind of to parse out all the stuff that all the all the all the things that they had and kind of 
cohere it into something that could be filmed. It is amazing with these things. We've seen it a lot in mm-hmm. the Bruck, in the world of Bruckheimer and Simpson. This committee screenwriting, which makes gives the movie like it might give the movie like a commercial polish, but in the worst case scenario, it gives it a like completely blank faced, like no, uh, there's just no level of um soul. Yeah, or identity, identity. That's what I like. Identity, point of view, identity, that kind of thing. A hundred percent. Well, it's like it's like it either goes two ways. It's either like you sand off and everything until it's like a generic mannequin of a film, or like you go the other way and it's like just there's just fifty different things happening at once and it doesn't can't agree on what it is. And we need another action scene here. We need another sex scene here. We need this here. We need this here. We need this here. It's like, okay, I'll try. Yeah. yeah. All right. I mean, all I'll, right. I'll I'll check that list off. Even try to make it coherent somehow. Uh, this uh, the film is based on an article by Elizabeth Gilbert. That's right. Eat, pray, love. Elizabeth oh. Gilbert called the Muse of the Coyote Ugly Saloon. This strikes me as a very Top Gun situation in which they saw the article, and with their producer mindset, Bruckheimer was like, "I don't know what the article's about." But hot girls dancing at it on the bar at a saloon, at the hottest saloon in New York. Mm-hmm. That sounds interesting. Let's make it. Let's figure it out. Figure it out, Jeff. Figure it out, Kevin. <laughs> figure it out, Gina. <laughs> but remember, it has to be PG thirteen. Yes, appeal to uh, a young female demographic. Yeah. Because it's also this gets back to the earliest smash from these guys. This is a two thousand reboot. Essentially, a flash dance. Oh yeah, but but the song that Jennifer Beals is dancing to is "Sugar Ray's Fly." Yeah, yeah, or "Cowboy." Yeah, goddamn cowboy is back. Oh in gosh, there. yeah. Uh, and like flash dance, there is a level of, and this is all men making this thing. Um, a level of surfaceness that is like lame at best, uncomfortable at worst. Yeah, throughout these movies, and like it, and I, I think you said it was called a fairy tale by one of the cast members. I think Adam it, Garcia said that, and you can feel that kind of vibe. But it's also like, again, like with God in sixty seconds, there is no real drama or doubt. No, maybe even more so in this one that there is no level of um. Well, it feels very safe. Like, yeah, it is. It is just like this is like I can see this. I see why it is for like a younger demographic because it is like it's so crazy how you have this insane subject matter, this like seedy bar that is like, you know, probably in real life was pretty rough at times. And they totally kind of streamline it, sand it down, make it as kind of safe and digestible as that could be. Well, um, which, which actually is also post-taxi driver pre-9-11 New York is what yeah. they're attempting to do as well. So we, you know, we never see the exterior of the bar no. either. Like, I was wondering, like, what does the sign look like? Like, what does it look like, like if you're walking up to it? Yeah, I mean, is it like there's a lot? Yeah, because there's like a lot of like scenes of like walking down like alleys at night and like the smoke is and, like yeah, oh, yeah, up uh, yeah, the manholes and, or rocking out on your roof with smoke coming out of the grates. 
Yeah, it got, it's so funny. Like, it's so corny, but then there was, like, this part of me that's like, this. I think Coyote M- M- Ugly has a more... I can't believe I'm saying this. I think Coyote L- Ugly has a more lived-in feel than, like, half of the fucking, like, Marvel movies released this year. Like, it, it, it was filmed in, like, a place. There's a sense yeah, of place. It feels, that's, that's it feels more... T- it feels more tactile than Ant-Man Quantumania. Yeah, that's true as well. That's, <laughs> that's true as well. One thing I mean, I'll give this it movie. is like distinctly like 99, 2000 New York. Yeah. But you used the absolute right word there. The word we have been scrambling in the dark to find. It's corny. Oh, it's so corny. This is it's the a... corny. This movie is so fucking corny. It's <laughs> a cornball film. And it's yeah. like, and, it, and it's kind of like, I can see, I, I feel like this movie has recently like acquired some like, cult status as sort of like yeah, a, I think so yeah yeah well and I think a lot of it is like a lot of people grew up watching this film and they have a have an affection yeah. for it I, and, I'm sure like people I went to high school with mm-hmm. like adore this movie oh for sure yeah yeah 100% and there's like and there are some like fun like I think like my uh, my uh, my my threshold for this movie is a little higher than the other two films, because this is like a, I feel like we just don't see a lot of movies like this when we're recording our pods. No, and, uh, no, no. We, yeah. This is a, this is we've this is like different. Certainly yeah, exactly. And it's, before. Yeah, and it's, so it is like at least like a nice. It was like a nice change of pace, but it is like yeah, and it might be the corniest movie we've ever watched for the show too. Like well, it like, is like there's like I mean that Gone sixty seconds had like the most like surface level characterizations of people mm-hmm. this one i couldn't tell you one detail about the other girls she works at with oh at bar, other it, than like their hair color it's like, so like well like i guess there's like bridget monahan who's like she's the tough sort of one, tough one. The t- yeah the tough there's the tough one the the russian one i guess the kind of dumb russian one but but not even that and, dumb and tyra banks she she doesn't it's so she's funny she's just like, showing up just playing herself Oh yeah, and well, and she gets like one seat. She ha- they have like in a you know one of those classic like we're in a bar having a conversation scenes. <laughs> I love. Okay, here's one thing I do like. Bud Court uh, plays the bar ten. I have a theory. Okay, here's me out. You can connect Frankie and Johnny Heat and Tony <laughs> Ugly because Romero. It's the same bartender from Heat, yeah. and then the guy. And this is a thing. So the guy who plays the um the fire marshal. In the bar, when the when they because uh-huh. there's this thing they do in the bar where they spray people. By the way, if you're spraying me with water in a bar, I'm leaving this. Leaving the, get I out of here. Okay, yeah, I guess we should talk about that. Like, not, we're not going. Like, oh, no, we're, we're neither of us would be caught dead in Coyote. No. I don't want to get involved. I don't. I don't like audience participation in improv shows. I don't want to participate at a bar. Hell no! I just want to sit yeah. quietly and drink. Yeah. Like, I want to be left why, alone. Why am I here? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this place is uncomfortable. Like, like oh, yeah, I'm happy if I'm at this bar. Like, the it's loud. It seems loud yeah. and not fun. Yeah, it does not seem like a fun place. Okay, yeah. go ahead. I no, want to see like, if you can get this to uh, Helen Hunt's cafe and as good as it gets. As well. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we can make that work somehow. But uh, the guy who plays the fire marshal, he is the dude that has a seizure in Frankie and Johnny. Mm. And so that's the. Then bringing it all back. That's all the same world, baby. You know all these, much like Magic Man, I think fondly on Frankie and Johnny. Yeah, that's a movie yeah. that has only grown. It's so funny. So many like movies just grow in esteem uh, for like 
And sometimes I don't think it, there's like a good reason for it. Like in my head, I think I've said this a million times. Meet Joe Black. I now think it's a ten out of ten perfect movie. There's nothing wrong with it. I just <laughs> go back and listen to our three hour complaint filled episode. <laughs> yeah, but, but fondly as a memory, I'm like perfect movie. I love this yeah. peanut butter guy. Um, <laughs> this devil loves peanut yeah, butter. <laughs> time, he- time heals all wounds. Yep. <laughs> so the basic story of Coyote Ugly, and basic is the right word here. Violet Sanford, played by Piper Parabo, um, in a breakthrough performance, uh, mm. is a Jersey girl. You know, and she <laughs> lives with her father, Bill, mom, in a classic, classic Bruckheimer mm. Simpson world. One of the parents is dead, and their memory haunts. But did they go down in a fighter pilot fight in, over Vietnam? No, she's died in her big issue was stage fright. <laughs> <laughs> Which has been passed down. The stage fright gene has been passed down to Violet. No. <laughs> so Violet dreams of becoming a songwriter. Despite the fact that she looks like a model and probably sings like an angel. Yeah, very and, uh, Bone Collector-esque. Uh... Yeah, yeah, there's some bone. Not as not, The Bone Collector is probably the height of, what are you doing here? Go be a model. But yeah, this isn't that far off. Yeah, at the very uh, least, you're surprised that people aren't like, you know, at least like, well, she's she looks the part of a Britney Spears type or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Her father her, is played by, you know, the great God tier actor, John Goodman. Uh, he's having fun. He's having fun. He's doing his best with what yeah. has been presented to him, which is gruff Jersey dad. Yeah, gruff Jersey. He, you know, he know he's complaining about the lean cuisine. His daughter's forcing him to eat. Yeah. I mean, you know how it is. It's very so, King of Queens. Very King of Very, yeah. It, it's exactly what you He, like, lives in filth. He cannot do launch. She has to come home on the weekend. So when she starts working Kylie Ugly, I was wondering about the logistics of her getting home to do his laundry. Do you, did that cross your mind? Did that? Did you spend five minutes wondering about that? Yeah, <laughs> like I just assumed I that uh, <laughs> John, you know, just uh, is living like he's an living animal. in filth. He's living in trash. <laughs> he sleeps he... in a he's, he sleeps in a, a pile of like wadded blankets, oh, like a dog. He's, he's like Colin Farrell after his sister leaves and Banshees of Inisherin. He's got animals in the house, just it's like a goat, <laughs> either as his companions. <laughs> yeah. That's my friend. That's my raccoon. His name is Joey. <laughs> he doesn't like Lake Cuisine either. He, let me tell you. Uh, shit's trash, too. We've been ordering pizza nonstop. My heart is two, <laughs> five seconds from exploding. I went to the doctor. They, they put my chest under an x ray. It's just a Christmas ham. I have a Christmas yeah. ham there. I, 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 was, I was declared dead. Five weeks ago. <laughs> I've had so much uh, salty food that my body's been preserved perfectly. <laughs> I somehow float in the Pacific Ocean like that garbage thing. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, God bless John. Anyway, John Gibbons the best. He's great. Uh, he rolls. <laughs> she moves to, hey, we're in New York. You know, classic. Classic New York. She finds a just a terrible piece of shit apartment. Mm-hmm. She gets robbed immediately. Uh, it should be noted... Her best friend, who's probably the best actor in this movie, in a total throwaway role, is that the great Melanie Linsky plays Gloria, her Jersey best friend. Yeah, she's great. Uh, she's great in it. She's a lot of fun. Totally insane what she does at the end of the movie. 
I like. It, it, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's yeah. Amazing. It's like I felt a, a low hum discomfort the entire time I was watching this movie. It's an odd film. It's very like um, it's one of those movies where like the world kind of warps or like like Piper Parabo is kind of like this black hole that like kind of like draws everyone's like um like everyone will put down their shit to like help her succeed and like in a way that's almost like very like like I'm leaving my wedding to make sure your dad is okay but she's is- also not charismatic enough to yeah. make you believe like if like Jennifer Lawrence or Julia Roberts or even like Anne Hathaway is playing the role, and I'm surprised Anne Hathaway isn't playing the role. Yeah, this is like very Anne Hathaway. Yeah, yeah in, the, in especially in like the year 2000, 2000, like that around that time when she was like, mm-hmm. you know, eighteen. Princess Iris. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like made for her, um, but she's not. So Violet moves to the big city. Golly, nobody will listen to my demo tapes. Oh, I'm going all over town. Mm. Um, she goes to a bar and she gets spoofed. Into thinking this guy is like the bar manager, but he's actually the cook there. This is Kevin, played by um, Adam Garcia, an actor I was not familiar with. I think he does like a lot of um, musical theater stuff. Mm. He's like, Uh, yeah, I'm Broadway more perhaps than the big screen. Yeah, he's an Australian who tricks her into loving him. (laughs) Yeah, that part sucks. That was kind of (laughs) like... Whatever, man. Kept kept, like following her and she's like... You know, please leave me alone. Go, and she's like, like, I'm going to become a fishmonger with me. It's yeah. they, they go move fish for uh, for money. Um, but his big thing is. Because um, hello, Kevin Smith. His mm-hmm. big thing is he collects comics. <laughs> and yeah. somehow he has a comic store with all those like like Marilyn Monroe and James James Dean, like stand up <laughs> cardboard. He's weird. He's, he's an odd weird. guy. He's poor as hell, but simultaneously drives around in a very like Jerry Bruckheimer, cool guy, classic car. Well, this in is New like York. What... Where is he parking the car? Oh, where's he parking sure. that boat in New York? Can't afford anything, but seems to be able to buy like a Christian, a pretty... Slate, Christian Slater and True Romance level worth of nostalgic garbage. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. He is kind of like a sanded down version of the Slater character. Yeah. Like a really, a really sanded down. Like yeah, a... old, like yeah, like completely like edgeless vert. Yeah, and like yeah. unmemorable because he's like weird but totally unmemorable at the same time. Yeah, it's so frustrating. Like he needs like some quirks. He doesn't like because uh, and you then... don't you don't care about them getting together or not. Who cares? Mm-hmm. It doesn't all. matter. Not at all. I care more about her singing career than I do about her romantic life. Yeah. But, you know, they they fall for each other. Simultaneously, she needs to make some dough, man. She thought she was mm-hmm. going to come to the big city and she'd be like the new like Simon and Garfunkel or something. But no. Right. Didn't work out like that at all. Nah, nah, nah. So she's out at Bud Court's restaurant. Yep. And these three babes are in the corner. It's like counting money. <laughs> it's insane. Like, just cash, like cash. Okay. What's the deal with that? I, a, bra- I a, a, a brazen <laughs> thing to do in a seedy yeah, diner I mean, at night. Where do you work? We're heroin dealers. I'm in. That's like literally what goes down. <laughs> you know, it <could> <laughs> uh, I mean, if only. If only that would have been if, a much funner movie. I would love to have seen Piper Parab. 
trying to awkwardly deal heroin. Yeah, yeah. I just want to be like her, like mousy kind of like. She always does yeah. like this, like head thing, like this head tilt. Like I'm, not, oh yeah, I'm not worthy. <laughs> I can't deal heroin. I don't have. I don't have heroin, and I'm too shy. Like, Maria Bello just like punches her. <laughs> Get out of here. You're dealing heroin or you're on the street. Well, I guess I'm dealing heroin now. <laughs> Gulp. So they she finds out that these three women who are um I should note that we've got Cammy, Zoe, and Rachel. No mm. last names. Should be an indication we don't know who the hell they are. <laughs> Played by Isabella Miko, Tyler Ban- Tyra Banks, and Bridget Moynihan. Uh, are all work at the hottest. That's so hot. So hot. Mm. Bar Coyote Ugly. Mm. I want to get a job there. What that sounds? That sounds neat. <laughs> Check it out. Well, it turns out Coyote Ugly. They basically like um. <sighs> it's just a shit show. As Patrick and I like. Yeah, there's like, a lot going on. It's there. It's like this, like country western kind of like rock and roll bar. Yeah, kind of. We don't know where it's. We don't know. I was gonna say what part of town it was. I don't know. No yeah. idea. Yeah, they they not explained where. It, like where it's Little Tombstone, there. Arizona. Little Tombstone, yeah, Tombstone, Tombstone, New York. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and. So what they do is like they they harass the patrons. They don't serve water. That's a big no no. Get the fuck! You want water? Get out of here! Get out of here, you loser! It's like water oh, is for the if, toilet. What if I was the designated driver? <laughs> These are the thoughts that I was having. <laughs> this have a wreck. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. Get in a car. Like, you're, you get five years of sobriety down the tube. <laughs> Yeah, they dance on the bar and they scream at people and they like it's very like sadomasochistic at times like these like bridged tunnel doofuses just want to come in and get slapped by pretty women and yelled at by pretty women <laughs> it's like Paul Giamatti and Billions <laughs> it's a bunch of them <laughs> yeah it's a, oh dude it's just a uh, except there's also just a lot of like business women there too who oh, I guess like in... way into it like, yeah I guess they enjoy watching the Paul Giamatti's get like slapped or something yeah, i don't know like watching their loser bosses finally get like annihilated by these women and like we said like each of the women who work at the bar are basically are defined by like one character trait they yeah there's no more into like what do they do where do they go i i was like oh i had all sorts of thoughts like what does bridget moynihan go when she's off work when she's just with regular people i think she just turns what off about, yeah yeah she goes back and <laughs> Yeah. She just, yeah, she like slows up, like power yeah, energy. Yeah. Low. Talk about the Matrix. It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like turned out. It's like, what is going on? This is bizarre. Um, but Piper is both um scared to death and curious. So she starts working behind the bar. We know we know that she has experience working it with salty customers because in the beginning of the movie she's working at a pizza pizza joint run by abel ferrara favorite victor yes. argo <laughs> see i was like kind of high hopes when i saw victor argo i was like oh maybe this movie mm. there's more to this movie than meets the <laughs> eye yeah no but he's only in one scene and by court only in one scene gone uh, that's man it. it's a bummer you want oh, those two it, to hang out together and this bar is so hot the press is there. The press is, of course, represented by Village Voice photographer Michael Bay. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so stupid. 
It's so stupid. Um, so then it gets like she's trying to make it in music. She's trying to get with Kevin. She's trying to make her way. Oh, she mm. noted the manager, the tough, hard ass manager uh, and owner of Coyote Ugly, Lil, is played by Maria Bello. Very good actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, she's doing a good job with that role. She's having give fun. her a little. I mean, she knows, like in the other Bruckheimer movies, she's like very aware of what, like, bringing something to the character. Like, okay, I'm a boss, hard ass mm-hmm. kind of character. Like, what are ways I can kind of within the, that up. those confines kind of find things. Mm-hmm. So she actually kind of gets the most out of the character in the world compared to everyone else. And it might just be that she's a more experienced actor at this point and you know more seasoned mm-hmm. who knows um but we kind of just basically the rest of the movie is like we follow her is she gonna is violet gonna make it as a songwriter how upset is john goodman gonna be when he finds out she works at coyote ugly <laughs> is what rules at coyote ugly is she going to break is anything dangerous anything actually dangerous going to happen at coyote ugly um and the answer to that is yes she makes it in music john goodman's upset at first but he gets over it yeah and then he gets <laughs> she, on stage she breaks, she breaks a few rules but charms maria bello back into having her and um nothing violent or scary <laughs> no, this is like a real safety scissors feature yes it is this, this... but it, what sucks is that the milieu and what they're trying to present is stuff that isn't safe it's a very weird juxtaposition of like, yeah, it's clearly like a this should be a scummy world, I but know, it's not. I like Abel Ferrara to step in and direct this movie. Ooh, man! He, like he made a movie kind of like this in Go Go Tales, if I remember. I think that was the one. Like, let me double check that. But basically, or, like that's yeah. the one with um, where Willem Dafoe is running the strip joint. Oh my goodness! And that's... Like yeah, and you yeah, it's like it's basically kind of a riff on killing of a Chinese bookie, the um, Cassavetti's picture. But yeah, like, yeah, that was for the kids. Ex- yeah, not for the kids at all. But that's what you're expecting. A little bit, yeah. Here. Especially like with the PG thirteen, like that's enough. Yeah, and this is like, you know, it's yeah. This feels like a sleepover movie. This is like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, a, like, it's a high school, mi- middle school even. Is it oh middle school? Movie. I think it's a hundred percent middle school. I don't think it's high school. school. Yeah, because yeah, I think the high school version is Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, or college <laughs> version is Devil Wears Prada because Devil Wears Prada is very similar. Only six years later, but Devil Wears Prada is actually a much more sophisticated movie than this. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like a com- comparatively erudite film. Yeah, comparatively like complicated movie. Yeah, but it's still like it's a classic genre. We talked about it's flash dances, uh, gal trying to make her way. In the big city. Big old town. Yeah, big old town. But this one is like so like... So basically, yeah, like, the funniest part about this entire movie is that, like... And this would not fly in today. Like, another 2000, like, pre-9-11, pre-internet thing. You cannot even be... Like, I was reading a script the other day. It's like, we had to decide on what trauma to give the lead character. <laughs> Everyone has to be, like, so bad and battered down. To prove that they can be heroic characters to pull themselves up in movies these days. Yeah. In this one, just stage fright. That's it. Yep. There's no real, nothing really holding her back from achieving her dream beyond the fact that she's a little nervous. Yeah. She gets a gig at the Bowery Ballroom, one of the more famous venues, club venues in New York. Easily. She gets it easily. And, like, it's all pretty easy for her. 
Yeah. The entire thing. Like, they're almost late to the thing, to the show, just because she gets a little nervous. And John Goodman's like, no, no, no. And, you know, they're spinning around, causing a massive traffic jam. Because John mm-hmm. Booth is a toll booth worker and all he gets all of his guys to light him up. And I don't know. It's hard to explain. It wasn't that. Ins- yeah, I think it was trying to be more inspiring than it actually was. Um, yeah. So, but then, like, she kicks ass at the Bowery Ballroom. She makes it happen. Everyone's there. The girls from the ugly, John Goodman, Melanie Linsky, everyone we've met before. I'm surprised. It's like Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler's wedding at the end of Armageddon. <laughs> Everybody's there. Yeah. And then uh, Violet gets a deal with a record label. It's going to be fine. Yeah. She's going to win. She's good. So then they're back at Coyote Ugly and Leanne Rhymes shows up to sing. Of course. That's, that's one does. As, as Leanne does. does. Yeah. <laughs> and interestingly enough, apparently Leanne Rhymes dubbed Piper Parabo's singing voice all the way through the movie. So at the end, Leanne Rhymes is duetting with Leanne Rhymes. Wow. Also, like, apparently... Wrap your Piper... mind around that. Mm. Also, Piper Parabo apparently, like, really prepared and, like, tried to, like, do the music, and she was kind of bummed out. With They were like, yeah, we're gonna overdub you, you know, with Leanne Rhymes. But it's also because the soundtrack came out on Leanne Rhymes' record label. It's a total Bruckheimer Simpson move to have the corresponding yeah. soundtrack. Synergy. Synergy, baby! <laughs> Synergy. Synergy. <laughs> yeah, and so we sold the shit out of that soundtrack at my at the record store I worked at. Like these were big hit songs in the moment. But the yeah, she kisses Kevin. And then you should also mention Melanie Linsky gets John Goodman to strip <laughs> on top of the bar. Which is like Oh, and they auction him off. And they yeah, auction Kevin off earlier in the movie. That's how she stops a bar fight, is she auctions Kevin off. He uses his uh, masculine wiles to yeah. calm down the uh, it, the bar. Yeah, and I guess you're right. Like, I think you summed it up, man. It's corny, and it's a total middle school slumber party movie. A hundred percent. It's a hundred percent like a middle school. Like, I guarantee you, if you played this at the New Beverly, it would sell go out. like gang gangbusters. Yeah, absolutely, and- would sell out. Yeah. To this film's credit, it would be really fun to watch this with a group of people. I bet, like, if you got the right audience, I think it'd be, like, a fun time. And that could be my ne- my negative Nancy reaction here comes from watching it at 5 in the morning by myself. Oh, yeah, I feel that. Hey, dude, I was, I'm with you where I was, like, I think I watched it, like, at 11 o'clock at night in, like, utter darkness on my yeah. dingy laptop. And it's just, like, it's on those, like, you know, I'm doing this for the pod. This is the theatrical, this is why the theatrical experience needs to live. Is that if we're stuck watching these things alone, many, many movies would just die. Oh, because they're just not a good time watching them alone. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, some of these movies are dying on the, they're dying on the yeah. vine. Yeah. They're, 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 you need like, yeah, it, it helps to have like a big old screen and a communal shared experience. It yeah, absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. Because sure. otherwise you're, yeah. Otherwise, you're, you're you know, just questioning. Yeah, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, like man, how like this is the longest 101 minutes in the history of the world. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I will say uh, it's not as still not as bad. I think bringing down the house might be still the worst because, uh, like, at least this movie isn't yeah. just like yeah, it isn't the uh, isn't like this movie isn't evil. It's not co- it's not caustic. It, I mean, in some no, ways it's, it's outdated, but it's yeah, it's outdated, but it's too um flat and taking so there are no risks in it 
Like even yeah. and almost surprised like for a Simpson Bruckheimer movie, there's like this level of like, oh, I can't believe there was like some attempted at humor that's incredibly dated. Yeah, there isn't there's even like even yeah. that. Like, well, and then like I think like a really telling thing too is like when you think about flash dance and they have that that break da- dancing moment and it's like yeah. they're on the street and it feels very organic and then you could almost like believe that like oh they just found a guy who was breakdancing and they told jennifer bills yeah, to hang out there, with her there isn't anything like that in this movie at all yeah because like yeah the one yeah the the breakdancing moment in this movie is like insane like it's like she's on like a uh she's she's on like the top of a building and then she like looks like into one of the the many denizens of new york looks into his window and it's just a guy breakdancing in his giant like yeah. seemingly empty devoid of like furniture apartment and it's yeah, it's very everything feels like um constructed the, and artificial. The um I think Jennifer Beale's performance there's a real charm to it. Mm-hmm. Like that isn't captured in this one. And I think that Jennifer Beale's final dance, regardless of how empty that movie is, you do care about her succeeding mm. in her in the in the uh flash dance, what a feeling dance sequence at the end of the movie whereas when she's when violet sings a song in this you're like all right i'd also i think like with like a song like singing a song it's like okay they're a good singer like the shit she's doing in the end of flash dance like she's a cool dancer like i buy it but she's like really good yeah like and she deserves uh, a shot too like oh, i think for with, sure. like, like this song felt very like hmm. i was like Shrug my shoulders, ho hum, whatever song she does at the end of the movie too. Here's a here's a crazy pitch. What if this movie, instead of it being about Piper Parabo Parabo going to the big city, what if the movie like stayed with Melanie Linsky and her having to live in this weird town with Victor Argo and like you know seeing all her it. friends like the interesting that is her friend. She's watching her friend like become a star, and she's yeah. stuck in this town with like her loser husband. And That's, literally, like, yeah, the big yeah. thing she says, too, is like, like, you know, I loved you because you were the only one left with me. Like, we were the two, yeah. like, people that, like, didn't make it. <laughs> yeah, is that would be so, like, I mean, obviously a much sadder movie, but interesting. Oh, for sure. Well, and Melanie Linsky, she's really good. She's good in it. She's, like, a she's fun, really, interesting. Yeah. I, I want to see her story. I want to see, yeah. like, I wish we got to meet her, like, doofy. Uh, like, here's the thing. Like, her husband that she's marrying, like, you totally get the sense that, like, she's just, like, doing the thing. Like, she's doing it because that's just how you do it in this small town. Mm-hmm. Like, she's just marrying this guy because he's the guy that asked her. And, like, what else am I going to do? She doesn't even care. She doesn't care enough about the wedding to like, like you know. I guess like I guess John is Goodman's it, like a, a big family friend. Is it um, Michael Weston who's playing her husband? Maybe he's like only in it for like two seconds. Yeah, it's and like so a that, miss. And this guy is like he's a he's always been a very like interesting actor. He's like he shows up in all of the Zach Braff movies, but he was also did a he also did a run on House. Oh, but the big one that and it, you know anyone who watching television in the early 2000s he did a one-off episode of six feet under where he picked up david and david thought it was a date but he turned out to be a deranged serial killer and the entire episode is like this bottle episode of him abusing and like maybe gonna kill david and it gets scarier and scarier 
as the episode goes on. I remember watching it live with friends. We we're like, geez, like, what are they like? This was a, like a bold episode. And he kind of anchors the entire episode, this one off. Like, and he shows up as like a ghost throughout like the other episodes because, like, obviously, David's like completely traumatized. By oh, but speaking of like legitimate, like okay, that's something to remember. That's scary. That could prevent you from doing things. Yeah, is you know this guy. A hundred percent stage fright. Come on. Uh it didn't stop anyone though. And this is glory. We didn't have the internet quite yet. Certainly mm-hmm. not streaming in the year two thousand. No, no, TV. No. It's not TV. It's HBO. Was like just getting started. I think Sopranos was like right around the corner if not there at this point mm-hmm. same with uh sex in the city and that kind of stuff we're all like just emerging so mm-hmm. I, you know like i said i i by the time this came out august 4th 2000 i was 18 years old i did not see this movie in the theater but w- that summer what did we do on fridays mm. we saw movies because there was nothing else to do either like go to a party or go see a movie or go to dance and have like late dinner or something like we did not have a ton of options so a movie like coyote ugly which you watch it today you say you're unless you have nostalgic memories for it, you're like that is a strange nothing of a movie mm-hmm. Coyote Ugly made 113.9 million dollars at the box office wow on a 45 million dollar budget it was a sleeper hit because it served an audience that wasn't getting served. This was the same summer as Mission Impossible and Gone in 60 Seconds and shit like that. I think, you know, we, we think we saw like shit like Hollow Man and the Deep Blue Sea that summer. You know what I mean? Like, it's serving a much different audience, making them happy. And mm-hmm. it's a, and we don't have the same options we had now. But I, I like, I don't think like going back in time is a good, obviously there's a ton of darkness in wishing to be a part of the past. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, but I do like the no choices. <laughs> Just kind of what, like the simplification of choice. Mm. Either saw Coyote Ugly that weekend, or you found something else to do. But that yeah. was the entertainment that was available that weekend in August. And like you would, you know, it's so funny, like how your brain, like back then, would just kind kind of be like, fu- I feel like you would just like enjoy. There was that was like a time where you, even if the movie was kind of bad or not great, you would just kind of have a good like, oh, I saw a movie. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, it, you know, it serves a purpose and it does bring you this nostalgia for, you know, the expectation. Like we kind of were texting about this, like audiences today are much, much smarter and much more attuned yeah. to, quality, to quality material, mm-hmm. but they're also significantly less fun. Yeah, they're much like they, yeah they're they're savvier, but they're also uh, but they want yeah. that like trauma like those movies with trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. They they, you know? they expect they expect a certain level of depth, which uh, can be rewarding at times. Sometimes it's, it's good, kind of annoying. In many cases, is a good thing, but it does make you. That's why you also yearn for the con airs of the world. Yeah, so you want Sim- this balance. Because, a simpler time. Yeah, sim- it's simpler time. My better, worse. Who's just simpler is the better word for it, you know? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. The whole like, yeah. Because I did have like a break. Uh, watching these movies so close in succession kind of made me like almost shift my opinion on Brooke Iver a little bit. Like it was like this sense of like, man, yeah. is he making us? 
Did he make movies stupider? Did he? Yeah. And we've gotten out of it. I guess he did get well, out of it. Well, was it like too much of a reaction? Is like a movie like Dark Knight, which is definitely a reaction to the stupidity that preceded it. Yeah. Did Dark Knight take things like over adjust too far into like the um, serious realm where everything has to have a meaning and purpose? Yeah, suddenly everything has to make sense. Suddenly, yeah, Same with like, um, Born Identity. Did Born Identity bring that about? That's true. And it's, or it's so the, funny bond, too. the Bond Casino Royale overextension toward being Bond a serious, like, hard ass. Yeah, because, like, the line, it's perfectly clear from, like, Dark Knight to where you get to points like the that uh, Star Wars movie Solo, where they have to fucking explain Han Solo's last name. Yeah. Like some things don't need to be explained. We don't need to like no. it's it's crazy. And we they, we have to find some level of a balance here because they should not be as stupid as the ones we're watching today. They shouldn't yeah. be. Yeah. No, these are like catatonically dumb. But they shouldn't be the fucking eternals. No. I, either. Yeah, I don't need to, I don't need to see like Pingo or Druig uh, feel bad about doing an oopsie of Hiroshima. Like I don't yeah. need like that's crazy. We, we don't need, need... F- folks. We need a balance here. Yeah, that's the gotta... bottom line. We need a balance, and that balance is, of course, ambulance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, never mind. It's, it's Avatar. <laughs> it's Avatar. It's Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, it's like there the we better go. balance, but even those are imperfect, and they have their own things. Anyway. Yeah. Coyote Ugly. Yikes. Twenty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Uh, Coyote Ugly has enthusiastically trashy energy and undeniable aesthetic appeal, but it's nowhere near enough to make up for the film's shallow, unimaginative story. Mm. Mm. Makes you think. Mm. Yeah. Uh, audiences did love it, though. Like we said, people like this movie. Like, like they the do love it. Loved it. Yeah. So who's to say? I mean, everything we just said there was just who gives a shit? Who knows? Yeah, like, like and, and, at the end of the day, like we're trying to make this statement. Nobody knows anything. That's why no. we get Hollywood accounting. That's why we get stabs in the dark. That's why we get fifty-seven thousand Marvel movies. And when the Marvel movies finally start to run out of steam, which it mm. seems like they might be, doing. yeah, maybe seeing uh, Modok's bare ass like turned off every pun in the audience. The um, they don't know. They have no idea. They have mm. no idea what to do after the Marvel movies die. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very interesting to see. Like I can't wait, maybe, maybe westerns maybe, will come back. Yeah, maybe what they have. On TV, because the biggest thing, the biggest thing on television, the biggest thing for most audiences is Yellowstone. Yeah. <laughs> like, America like, has Sheridan mania. Yeah, that, that is actually the most popular thing among adults on television. And I saw like Kirk Sutter is doing a Western next. Nick Pizzolatto is doing a Western show. Oh, next. my those are my two ding dongs. I want to see these. I, and I want to watch. Do I want to watch every bit of all of that? Yeah. Yes. I, totally do. I want the guy from Sons of Anarchy to make yes, a Western. Am, of course. I'm also a 40 year old father. Yes. I'm in the dad zone. You, dude, you can now, you can now proudly say you love dad cinema. You're a dang yeah. father. I can't wait. The next time we talk, you're gonna talk to me about uh the how um. Like cannon, the cannonballs in the Patriot are uh, not factually accurate because cannonballs <laughs> should bounce off the ground, not go yeah. directly into it. Yeah, you're gonna well, lay that I, knowledge. I earlier, earlier, like late last year, when Paul Thomas Anderson was going around saying Thirteen Lives was his favorite movie of last year, and I saw people like online, they're like, "Why the? Why does he have such dad taste?" I'm like, I hate to tell you, he's a 53 year old father of four. 
Yeah. What do you? Who do you think he is? Like, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sorry, he's not like uh, Andy Warhol, dude. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Like, what do you think yeah. he's? What do you think he's watching? <laughs> <laughs> he's not watching the Mikhail Haneke Lars von Trier movies. Like, maybe he probably is, but like, what is he enjoying? What does he want to do after a hard day, like dealing with four kids? Thirteen lives is what he wants to do. Yeah, but I want to like, do too. <laughs> exactly. Like as much as like, yeah, like you know, there's a time and place for watching the idiots, and there's also a time and place for watching yeah. Yeah, and, lives so, and a beautiful mind. <laughs> Roger Ebert said, "Do you get the feeling these movies are assembled from off-the-shelf parts?" Hmm. Very. So, yeah. He says he doesn't ask for originality, but he does want at least one surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he praised the technical aspects of the movie, but says you can only pump up the volume so far be- before it becomes noise. He did say he really liked Piper Parabo, said she was the reason to see the movie. And she said she has one of those friendly Julia Roberts smiles, good comic <laughs> timing, ease and confidence on screen, and a career ahead of her in movies better than this one. Mm-hmm. Lots better. Um, Peter Travers of Rolling Stone, never one to mince words, dismissed the film as saying, Bruckheimer claims he's made a film about female empowerment, but it's softcore pap for horny boys and their hornier dads. Oh, God. Uh, that's, see, that's like, see, that's such a grim, that's such a grim picture. That it's, I don't want, like, if you're a yeah. dad, like, so, you don't need to watch this. I like this one, though. Justin Kirkland of Esquire in a retrospective review said the film captures hilariously sincere optimism of the year 2000 yeah it is a category bad categorically bad film but it's 101 minute runtime it manages to capture the vibe of an iconic year that was plucky and unassuming with a delusional and misplaced sense of hope man there you go there you go man whoever who was the person who justin one more time kirkland, justin kirkland of esquire magazine wrote that man you get a tip of the hat brother that's that's it maybe one of the most apt uh, reviews we've is read apt and it captured and it could be if you wanted to swing that towards the two movies on the opposite sides that we are talking about today of this you could say the same thing mm-hmm. there is a naivete and a simplicity to these movies that basically coming out of the bill clinton era in which times were good money-wise, Democrats were in charge, liberal moves, but not too liberal moves were being made. Yeah, not too liberal, watch out. Not too liberal, please. Uh, We were all going to be fine. Yeah. The good times were just going to keep on rolling. Our biggest problem, it's stage fright. Stage fright, or like (laughs) the computers were going to shut down. Yeah, or or New York isn't uh, tarred enough. Yeah, yeah, like what are like I hate the Disneyland Giuliani, New York. Well, you know, wait nine months. Yeah, it's it'll get really sorry, that was dark, but no, yeah. Yeah, but you know, but you know, W gets elected. Mm -hmm. And that was weird. That was my first election. I voted in W Gore. That was the first time I got to vote. Interesting. And I voted for Al Gore. Yeah. Like but It was the first time I was like, we lost? How did Algor lose? Did that guy? Little did we know. Little did mm. we know. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Our so, good friend Chad in, in Florida guess, had something to I, say. Yeah, Chad. No, 
<laughs> even then, it was like Jim from the office was dressed as Hanging Chad on one of the Halloween episodes or something. That's like, so weird. Yeah, we, like it was still like yeah, it was like we weren't all pilled, we weren't all outraged all the time. Yeah, it so is. I like, guess my yeah. thought is get a bottle, get a bottle of Coppola Chardonnay. Oh yeah, sit down with your friends and have a slumber party with Coyote Ugly. And maybe you will actually have a nice evening. It may have yeah. I may have had a bad viewing experience. I want to give it the benefit of the doubt because like you're saying simpler times, man. Like, oh yeah. You know, just put some yeah, you know, put think some too popcorn, hard. Po- put some popcorn in the oven. Put- don't think too hard and check it out. Uh we gotta move on to our next movie, the final movie. Hopefully uh, yeah. we can get this in time. Oh no. <laughs> we're we are running, running out of, we're yeah, running a little we low on time. Third movie is the Sports biographical sports film Remember the Titans released mm-hmm. September 29th of the year 2000. The basic storyline here is the is the inspiring story of in the summer of 1971, TC Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia is being integrated mm-hmm. finally. And that includes the football team. Long-term mm-hmm. coach Bill Yost is being informed that Due to the integration, he is being replaced by Herman Boone, a coach from another district, very successful coach from another school district, who mm-hmm. also happens to be black. Bill Yost is white. Oh, the first 10 minutes of this movie, there is uproar. Yeah, there are near riots. We've the white players are not feeling it at all. It is is it everything you'd expect? Yeah, just yeah, you know. By paint by the numbers, uh, you know, numbers. evil and the town. So. Basic drama of this film is: Can Herman Boone bring the football team, thus the high school, thus the town, thus mm. perhaps America, to what like open their eyes to the struggles and the human the human dignity needed to come together via football? Mm. Spoiler: Yeah, he can. Oh he yeah, does. like, and they do it through a jaunty uh, pre-game haka. Like they do a great little dance. They do like an awesome. You know what? At that point, I was kind of hooting, hollering. I was yeah. like, "This is silly. Um, I don't care. I'm having fun." Yeah, uh, Herman Boone is, of course, played by Denzel Washington, who brings the moment he steps out of the car in this movie. Despite how surface and silly what I just and uncomplicated what I just described sounds like, you mealing. Yep. But yeah, buy it. He can yeah, do he it. Can, yep. He he <laughs> is so cool and confident that he could solve racism. He is that yeah, level he of is like that great. He is <laughs> that great, and it's only going to be a matter of time that he turns everyone around in this movie, outside of the worst of the worst racist people, yeah, to being on his side and his right and his correct ideas on how these <laughs> things go. Hundred percent. Also, he is like a. Like the level of like restraint he has, like mm-hmm. there's like you, you never get like a moment where he like justifiably like like really lets someone have it. You know what I mean? And like I he, think too that is actually that is like it's it in the moment when you're watching the movie, you're very inspired and involved. But thinking about it afterwards does make you a little queasy because they actually don't give him any level of character detail. No, it's hardcore strength and dignity. Yeah, it's he's a hundred percent just like dignity personified. He yeah. is like, and like, uh, I will never stoop to their level. I will never uh, yeah. wallow and, myself. Yeah. And the the big drama in the movie is, are the idiot white people in this town, yeah, going to either like 
change their ways or be terrible racists. And that's it. Most of them change their ways. Spoiler yeah, again. Say, <laughs> yeah, there's like maybe like one kid that like is like stays a jerk and, the whole but he's he like the bad boot, guy. But he gets booted by mm-hmm. the guy who makes the biggest change on the team. It's yeah. Tier is the one who has to make the move to get rid of him. You know? So, okay. We got all sorts of guys. <laughs> all sorts of guys. Uh, great. Movie. I love this cast. Great cast. It, the cast rocks. It's great. Denzel Washington is, of course, Herman Boone. Will Patton is Bill Yost, the coach Ooh. who is replaced by him. But Bill is like surprisingly almost from the jump actually quite an open-minded man that they're never going to play too negatively. Yeah, he's like the supposed to be, he's kind of like the uh, white audience surrogate. He's like the guy oh, that he's like... he's the pat ourselves on the back white audience surrogate. Like, who's like, hey, hey, we can get it too. Like, we yeah, understand. I, yeah. Yeah. And despite the fact that he, you know, is about to be entered into the high school football Hall of Fame and he's like a tenured coach and he's getting fired. Yeah. Immediately for it. He's actually relatively open-minded to become the assistant coach. Yeah, and see, that is like a thing where like, yeah, uh, I guess it wouldn't be this type of movie if you like, you know, kind of went into that aspect of it. Because, you know, like that's a, that's like an interesting place where conflict could be. And there's a lot to mind there. And they I, totally also just... the, the conflict in this movie is very prickly. When mm. you're trying to make a inspiring sports movie. Yeah. Simultaneously, like, it's very prickly. And, you know, from what I understand, this movie is, um, you could say, based on a true story in the lightest, flimsiest way. When it comes to this yeah. movie. There is a lot that they adjusted. It's like, almost a, domino, almost a domino level adjustment to the truth. And that's, you know, they want to manipulate us yeah. into feeling a very certain way. This is easily the most manipulative out of the three films. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I remember watching this movie uh, in school. Oh, yeah, we didn't school. even talk about Yeah, I watched it, you know, when it came out, too. And yeah. I was remember being pleasantly surprised because I was, came in very cynical, like, oh, I know exactly what this kind of the movie. But it still got me because it manipulated me so bad. It was exactly the movie. This movie's completely paint by numbers. Oh, it plays you by like a fiddle. It's yeah. a, this, is, this is like a, yeah, this movie knows what strings to pull and what, but, uh, yeah. Will Patton is terrific as he always is in the movie. But I think the two all-stars of this movie outside of Denzel Washington are um, Wood Harris and Ryan Hurst. Ooh. Wood Harris plays Julius Campbell, um, a black member of the team. Ryan Hurst plays Jerry Bertier, a white member of the team. They're the two best players mm-hmm. on the team. And they're on the offsides, offense, defense, and they're both the most like passionate. They're like the captains of the yeah. team. The captains of the team. Bertier is the incoming captain, and Julius is kind of the leader of the new students who are being bussed into the school. Of course, at first they have a real like button heads relationship, mm-hmm. but Bertier and I, I Brian Hurst is a very sensitive performance in this movie. I really like what he does in this movie. I think he's, he's, a, the, he's got the heart of this movie. He is like an underrated uh, performer. He's like he does. He I feel like he does bring a lot of like heart and depth to everything he does. He's very soulful. He has like soulful yeah, eyes. He's a, yeah. yeah, he's a very soulful actor, and he you need that for Bertier, who's the guy who is like the guy you think is going to be the baddie, the baddie of the picture, but he's the one who changes first. Because they mm-hmm. also they also do get in mind that Bertier has to change first for his white teammates to open their eyes 
mm-hmm. as well. But we get a great like I think the best stuff is like the training sequence and when they go to Gettysburg and stuff like that is really like I almost want just that. Yeah, that's but like the, where the you, mo- need the, you need to have the big game sequence. I get it, yeah, but yeah, like it almost, at times it almost has like a uh, like a very simplified version of everybody wants so, like that vibe. We're just like dudes hanging out, interacting with each other, just like kind of shooting yeah. the breeze. And I think like, yeah, if, if Linklater makes this movie, he's just a, he's just at that camp. Oh, for sure. You know, and and it, it and it's like a slow burn. It's not yeah, like it's immediately a, yeah. like we're on the same page. <laughs> Yeah, it's a simpler kind of thing, and like that would have been really fun because you got the act. You actually have the actors for it. They got good actors in, yeah. the, main, in the main football team roles. Um, Donald Faison as P.D. Jones, Craig Kirkwood as Jerry Rev Harris, um, Ethan Suplee, who looks like he's thirty years old, is Louis. <laughs> they, they, they all look thir- like because like they what Harrison like one person. Oh, have, that's true. Who actually that looks true. like they're in high school. There's one person, the biggest star out of all of them to come. But um, yeah, but uh, but like Wood Harris, it's so funny. Like you watch this movie and you see Wood Harris, who's great. Like what's cool about this movie is you get to see Wood Harris like smile and like yeah. emote. Like he's not just stuck in like like he's the wire zone. A ton of work over his career being in the wire and the Creed films and stuff like that. Like he's a great character actor who brings it every single time. But he always does play a hard ass. Like that's yeah. kind of you know. This almost like remi- reminds me of when you see like um, have you watched that uh, Paul Giamatti movie where he plays uh, Har- uh Harvey Pekar? Oh yeah, American Splendor. Yeah, American Splendor it reminds me of like when you see Judah Friedlander in American Splendor, and he- when he plays Toby Radloff, and you're like, oh, I forgot, I didn't realize that like Judah Friedlander has like rage. I didn't. I always thought he just played Trucker Man or whatever. Well, I Mr. mean, like, Hat. yeah, with the ten guys in Hollywood, pin- pigeonhole everyone else. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah. You know, and there's all these actors. I mean, Ryan Hurst hasn't hasn't gotten a ton. He he's continued to work, but he hasn't mm-hmm. like gotten like a really interesting big like major. You know, just TV and stuff like that. Good for him, but you could have seen more from him. You know, oh, Ethan, for sure. Ethan, Ethan Supley probably contains magnitudes other than being the big guy. Yeah. But he is, and then I read about him. You know, he got in a real good shape a few years back. Like he, yeah. and like God bless him. Like brought added years to his life. I'm sure. But, um, but he said he couldn't get parts. Yeah, he had to gain, but he had to gain way back to get parts, which is utterly insane. It's 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 like evil. Yeah, I I literally listened to a podcast where he talked about that the other day, where it was like, yeah, like I got in really good shape. I was caring for you know caring for myself, and then uh, Hollywood was like, nope, we want you. We know you was a fat guy. But I mean, even then, like you hear those stories of like, okay, like when you need a bigger guy, yeah, you go for Josh Gad. If you can't get Josh Gad, you go for uh, Dan Fogler or Dan Fogler. If you yeah. can't get gambling or Fogler, you make the character skinny. <laughs> That's literally, yeah. There's literally like five dudes, and yeah. if you can't get one of those five, it's like it's like Mike Mitchell is the last person on that run. And if you can't get Mike Mitchell, you just turn it into like some skinny guy or like Henry yeah. Zabrowski or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's so uh, it's depressing. Yeah, very depressing. And and speaking of guys who have had to struggle, Ryan Gosling is of course in this cast. <laughs> oh, dude, the tragedies oh, he's gone through, the tough the tough time he's had. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he lost all that weight and he couldn't get any roles. Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> he plays Alan Bosley. Alan Bosley, uh, and you know, 
he's very skinny and very young and very like green, but oh, he's yeah. having fun. You know, he's kind of like the hillbilly character yeah. of the group. Bit of a goofball. Yeah, he's, he's kind a... of a goofball. But don't worry, don't worry, Gauze fans. He does open his heart and mind mm-hmm. to uh, race relations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, of course there's Kip Pardue as Ronnie Sunshine Bass. The uh, oh man. The hippie transplant to the team who also, if there's anything the South hates as much as my people of a different color, um, it's hippies. It is like, yeah, I couldn't help but think of uh, the climactic finale of Easy Rider. Yeah. Yeah. Where everyone gets just eaten up for essentially just having long hair. Yeah. And this movie, like we mentioned, (laughs) is like almost historically inaccurate rather than accurate. But yeah. it is all in service of like learning to love your teammate, listening mm-hmm. to classic rock and classic soul together, telling yo mama jokes. That's what really turns Gary Bertier to being mm-hmm. like, man, that is funny. Like, I thought it was an insult, but guess what it actually is? Guess what yo mama jokes actually are? They're really, really funny. And, and you know what? It's it's kind of a bonding experience, too. We're me, learning yeah. from each other. And I like if I'm Will Patton and I look over at Denzel Washington, we nod. Like, yeah, they're getting it. We did it. We, <laughs> we did we, it. We did this. <laughs> but, like, so basically, though, the Athletic Council is very upset that the team is actually successful in working out. So they're, like, they tell Will Patton, like, we're going to bring in refs to, like, t- tank the game for you. And you're not going to make the high school football coaches Hall of Fame in Virginia if you uh, don't go along with it. Mm. But because Will Penton is our good white man. Yeah. Um, I almost did Drexel. What is this, white boy day? <laughs> uh, Will Patton goes along with it. And, you know, mm-hmm. he does not go along with it. He, he tells, he's like, no way, man. I don't need this stupid Hall of Fame. Much to the chagrin of his insane daughter, Cheryl Yost. Oh, yeah, she's like totally jokerified by sports. Played by a just... young, very young Hayden Panettiere, who <laughs> there's a lot of fun bits between her and Denzel Washington's daughter. I love how Denzel Washington's daughter never like, warms up to her. Yeah, like you're a crazy <laughs> person. <laughs> you are a lunatic. <laughs> yeah, she's right. She's completely right. This little blonde haired girl screaming, the defense has to be better. She's like Robert De Niro in Silver Linings Playbook. It's like, <laughs> he's Robert De Niro in the fan. He's just Robert De Niro in the fan. You're right. Hey, Boone. Boone. And so, um, but they get they get through that to get to the big game. Mm-hmm. They win the semifinals. All is well. And then true tragedy, like actual genuine tragedy strikes. Gary Bertier is T-boned in his car. Severely injured, he's paralyzed. That's like a well-shot moment. I, I, didn't, I genuinely, I forgot that happened again. Oh, Brian totally. Hurst and Wood Harris's performances because they've become like best friends. Julius and Gary are like they're going to run away together into. The oh, they're they're blood brothers. Yeah, yeah. they're they're warrior they're warriors and, on the field. And you, I love their performance because this movie is so forced mm-hmm. in all of this stuff. Oh, totally. They bring like a heart and soul and a reality and authenticity. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that Hurst and Harris are friends in real yeah. life. They day. should 
They should like do something. Like they're both really. They have a good rapport. Like have they them do. be like a yeah. you know, detectives together or yeah, something. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, fun, yeah, fun detectives. I don't know. Yeah, um, <laughs> the fun detectives. The fun detectives. <laughs> oh, uh, a very young Kate Bosworth plays uh, Jerry's deeply racist girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, her arc was so stupid. So, like, st- yeah, it's so just st- like you know what? It took me like the whole movie, but and I my, guess I'm not. And the guy I used to love like dying, but I you yeah know, I could. You, I could touch you. Yeah, exactly. So it's like bad. you know what? At uh, that point, you can't get out of here. Get out. But the so, but then so they have to win it for Boutier. We get a classic sports sequence where like we're seeing them. The other team isn't so much racist as really good. Yeah. In the final, in the final, the other teams they've played have been more racist than good. This final team is more good yeah. than racist. Yeah. This is like the um, the they just yeah these are these are so cold mercenaries. Yeah. They're all like, um, you know, those little league teams that hire like twenty-three-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, is there like a twenty-nine-year-old Serbian man on that team? <laughs> I know it's like Joe Namath is playing quarterback for them. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they they win the big game. But what we find out is that ten years later, this is very John Malkovich and Con Air, to be perfectly honest. Gary mm-hmm. Bertier wins a uh, shot put at a paraplegic Olympics mm-hmm. competition, which is great. But then, like, days later, he's killed by a drunk driver in another car accident. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. It's all true. That's that very is, depressing. Very it sad. is kind of. They, they, this is one of those movies where I feel like it didn't necessarily benefit from the. This is where they are now. Because it felt like no one really, like, I guess, like, you know, it's like. Stuff like LASIK became a businessman, and yeah, yeah, I think like, I mean, I, 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 I'm always a fan of a where are they now, yeah, type thing. I, I, I wish, um, I think Gone in sixty seconds should have ended with the Con Air character reintroduction with the uh, in the credits. This oh. one could have done it too, like over like <laughs> I got sunshine. Ryan Gosling is Alan Bosley. That <laughs> dude, that would have been. And him dancing yeah, and to Buck Owens in like a freeze frame or something like that. Exactly. Like, like you know, yeah. Another thing that they don't do in movies anymore that is one of my favorite things in movies is the uh, roll call of your cast. Top Gun Maverick did it because it's an old school thing that they're trying to do an old, uh, cool old school thing. But it's like a celebration. I love these guys. Bring it back. I want. Yeah, they should have done that in Avatar. They should have had call. like you know curtain call. Yeah. That was Spider. There's, yeah, that <laughs> was Spider. There's Spider. Um. Yeah, it's like, but I still was like fist pumping during the end the movie. Yeah. So yeah, the movie ends with the funeral for Gary, and we find out what happened to everybody. Um, apparently, in real life, Herman Boone was like a psychopath. <laughs> like, like oh he no, fired, he got fired for like a like a basically abuse of the team. Oh god, <laughs> it's yeah, it's very like uh, yeah, more whiplash than Titans in real life, I guess. Yeah, 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 a little more whiplash kind of guy. Yeah, the, uh, where are they now? The prime omits the primary cause of Boone's retirement. He was fired from the school due to allegations of player abuse, player abuse, and coach complaints. Oh my god! Oh well, great soundtrack. They won the big game. They yeah, solved, they... they solved race in America. Um, it's a really fun movie. I liked it. I enjoyed yeah. watching it. Uh, it's it's the best of the three. It's the best of the three. Yeah, and it's worth a rewatch if you haven't seen it recently. If you can get over the fact it's. V- like, okay, so remember a few years ago when Green Book got accused of being incredibly simplistic? Yeah. About, that's this. 
Same deal. Oh, a hundred percent. Same deal. It, yeah, in some ways, even more so. But and you like, couldn't get it, away with it. You could not get away with it in this vein at all in twenty twenty three. Oh, are for too, sure. Again, sophisticated. This is not a sophisticated movie. Mm-mm. It's like a. Uh, it's very like respectability politics. It's very like you know like this well, guy because also was... because the hippies who wrote and directed and made this movie thought they solved it. Yeah, they like truly 68. did. They thought they solved it all in 68. Yeah, this was we're still... just looking back. We're just looking back. Can you believe how crazy it was? We're fine now. We Everything's weren't. good. This yeah. Ron Howard, but they weren't. <laughs> yeah, they weren't. Yeah, it's problems were still happening. Yeah. yeah. Uh, has uh, a 70, 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that, that's um, fair. Inspirational crowd pleaser with a healthy dose of social commentary. Remember the things may be predictable, but it's also well-crafted and features terrific performances. I agree. I agree. And we should give a shout out to the director, Bose Yakim, who's actually a very good director. Yeah. Uh, made a really cool movie called Fresh we, in you know, the early 90s. We were, uh, Don and I, there's a little peek behind the curtain. There was a moment where instead of Wesley Snipes, we were thinking about doing a Samuel L. Jackson podcast. Uh, and I was pushing very hard for Fresh to be Yeah. Included. We're a fresh head. Yeah. Uh, you know, and his career has been um, up and down mm-hmm. since then, done a lot of writing work. Um, what action movies wrote? Now you see me. The, wow, the magic movie that I never saw, but I laughed at. He also wrote remain, the still remained very mad. The sequel is not not called the Now You Don't. I mean, it was right there. Idiots, <laughs> like, idiots. Like, Don, like Hollywood, hire Don. This is like <laughs> you. You clearly need him because you didn't name it. Now you don't. Like, come don't. on, it's right there. God, dead. But yeah, I mean, he wrote like. Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights, like a wild career all over yeah. the place. Uh, executive produced the Hostel movies. I mean, wow, just done tons of stuff all over the place. But a worker, working, working filmmaker, still in the game, and made this and Fresh, which are I think, you know, great movies within mm-hmm. their um, within their kind of wheelhouse. Uh, written by Gregory Allen Howard, best um, mm. known for. Remember writing "Remember the Titans" is kind of oh he passed away like two months ago. Wow, R.I.P. Man, R.I.P. Buddy. <laughs> Boy, these screenwriter discoveries that we make have we made two years <laughs> in a row that kind of throw us for like, huh? <laughs> Luke, yeah, this, this definitely. One's, better. This yeah, one's this... bad. Um, he was an uncredited writer on Glory Road, which I don't know if you've ever seen Glory Road, which is essentially remember the Titans in basketball. I do remember that was like when they were that that's back when uh, America was trying to make Josh Lucas a thing and yeah. it wasn't quite working. Didn't didn't quite get there, but also produced by Bruckheimer. Also a movie I remember watching and saying, huh, I kind of like that. Yeah. You know, these are all like pleasant movies. Mm. Uh, remember the Titans was budgeted 30 million, made 136.8 million at the box office good job a yeah nice uh, who knows if that was a profit we don't even know anymore yeah. it seems like seems like a profit but <laughs> on paper it seems profitable on paper it seems uh profitable um roger ebert viewed the film as a parable about racial harmony yoked to the formula of a sports movie adding victories over racism and victories over opposing teams alternate so quickly that sometimes we're not sure if we're cheering for tolerance or touchdowns <laughs> Real life is never this simple, but then again, that's what the movies are for. <laughs> you know, uh, that's a good way of viewing it. That's a good buddy. way of avoiding it, man. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, everyone kind of was like, 
bounce back and forth. It's cliched. It's sentimental. It's pretty lightweight. But God, Denzel and Will Patton and the rest of this cast, like, make it work. Yeah. It's well crafted. It's crafted well. It's not messy like I would argue that Gone in 60 Seconds or Coyote Ugly were messy. This one, the through line here, is there. It's probably for our era and time. Again, this goes back to the early 2000s with that line from the Coyote article. article. It's not complicated enough. It's not nuanced enough. It isn't detailed enough or deep enough or frankly realistic enough. But is it satisfying? Yeah, absolutely it is. Makes you happy to watch it. It feels oh, good. Yeah. It's a feel-good movie. Yeah. And but I think it, as we kind of head towards the close here, I'm sorry we only gave you a half hour on Remember the Titans. How how is our audience ever gonna survive? Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but oh, and it's got a great fucking soundtrack. soundtrack oh, soundtrack awesome. rules. Soundtrack rules. It's all hits and stuff like that. And then the score is good too. And oh, uh score is Trevor Rabin back yeah. again. Uh, uh, cinematography was a guy by the name of Philippe Rousselot, French guy. Um, mm. Did uh, see if he made any Don classic French movies. Oh, he did like stuff like Diva in the eighties, the Jean Jacques Bani movies and stuff like that. Oh, uh, came over to the states, worked with John Borman, did Emerald Forest, Hope and Glory. Um, yeah, tons of stuff. River runs through it. Gorgeous movie that is. Interview with the Vampire. People versus Larry Flint. Ooh, love that movie. Tons of stuff. And uh, just recently, at 77 years young, did Beast, that one with Idris Elba that came out last year. Oh, wow. Good for him. Keep rocking, Philippe. Keep up, keep up, keep keep on trucking. Yeah. Edited by Michael Tronic. Um, he has a good, I'm looking at like, yeah. Michael Mr. Tronic. Mr. Yeah. Midnight Run. Scent of a mm. Woman. Days oh. of Thunder, one of the 17 editors on Days of Thunder. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, worked recently on Outlaw King and um, Tomb Raider. Oh, good for him. Yeah, all these people are still like making, they're still busting well, through it. Again, there are only 10 people in Hollywood and these are pros who get the job done, so keep on they get... <laughs> taking away work. Uh boy. <laughs> I think like Bruckheimer, I think you're right. Starting to show a little bit of wear and tear, a little bit of yeah. these movies. The fun we were having in the 90s with these like vulgar, you know, dumpster fire action movies that are just mm-hmm. too good of a time to ignore. It's now when he's trying to expand the territory as we head into the 2000s, as things get slicker, as the expectations are getting higher. Mm hmm. We'll see where he turns from here. I mean, Pearl Harbor is shortly, but I think the big one that's going to really affect everything he does for the next 15 years is Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Which is coming up. And when he gets into more of that kiddie fantasy stuff. That's that's like the third act of his career, where it begins. Yep. yep. Yeah. Until now, he's an Academy Award-nominated 80-year-old with Top Gun Maverick coming full circle. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Next week on the show, though, we begin The Equalizer, the Antoine Fuqua story with The Replacement Killers and Bait. Both are available to rent. Replacement Killers on Blu-ray. Bait. Out of print DVD. So all we have is streaming for Bait. Mm. None of us know what even Bait is. I'm excited to figure out. I'm so pumped. Figure out. I'm pumped for both these movies, man. This is going to be a good time. Yeah, Fuqua rules. I'm a Fuqua head. I'm a Fuqua fanboy. Yeah. And then the week after that, 
we return to the world of Scott Scott with 2005's Kingdom of Heaven. As we have mentioned before, we will be watching the director's cut and going full force, God all in on, discri- on discussing director's cuts, Ridley Scott's uses and abuses of them, and so forth. Uh, Kingdom of Heaven's available everywhere. Rent it. Mm-hmm. It's on Blu-ray. It's not currently on one of the channels, but you know, talk to you in two weeks. It might be on Tubi in two weeks for all we know. Who knows? Yeah, maybe they'll bring Quibi back just for Kingdom of Heaven. If you think that these three movies that we discussed today are actually the high points mm. of Jerry Bruckheimer's producing career, check in with us at the Academy Academy Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Academy. Let us know. Let us know what you're thinking about these. These are interesting <laughs> ones. I think it really depends. If you were born in the year 2000 and you're watching them now, what are you thinking? That if you're, man, if you're a 23 year, if you're 23 years old and looking at Gone in 60 Seconds or Coyote Ugly, tell us what you think. I'm curious because, like I said, like I, these are time capsules for me. I remember distinctly because 2000 was a big year for me. Maybe it's different for you, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think that's 49 cars. Hmm. We're hopping into our fiftieth. Ooh! Right now, we're done. We're saving Kip. We're gonna saving have Kip. our gonna have our cookout. So for Patrick, I've done. We will see you next week on the Academy Academy. Bye. You're unbelievable.